Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this fine program. Today, I've got Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress with me. As we recap everything going on in the world of sports today on this Tuesday. And of course, we'll be leading off here in just a moment with some baseball after a hell of a game two between the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies. A wonderful comeback by the Braves after being no hit through five innings. So we'll definitely be talking about that this afternoon at 3.30 So coming up in less than a half hour, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will be joining us to talk all things Auburn and LSU as Auburn has rested up after the bye week and gets their sights set on the LSU Tigers. So we'll talk to Ferg about that. We will start to preview that game. We'll also still look back at a few other things from the world of sports over the last couple of days. And if you want to give us a call this afternoon, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one 889 Again, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday. We'll start with you, Tom. I uh, hope you are doing well here on this Tuesday. I, I am, um, and a lot better after the, after the Braves' victory, which uh, I did not watch. Um, I, we were talking about it uh, before the show off-air, and uh, – uh, the way that game started, I checked out. I, I was one of those. I was like, I'm not going to sit here and watch this debacle. I'm not going to get myself worked up over it. I'm not going to get my blood pressure up. I'm not going to get upset and ruin my night. I'm just not going to watch it. Went home, uh, ate some dinner, laid down, took a nap before I had to go to work. Woke up to go to work, checked my phone. I was like, oh, my gosh, the Braves came back and won. And had no idea how epic it was, the uh, the home run by Riley and then the uh, double play to end the game. So I, I – I saw they won, and I was happy. I just didn't realize how epic of a game I actually missed. But so it is. Uh, you know, that's my superstitious ways, and now I'm probably not going to be able to watch the Braves because when I don't watch, they do good, and I'm afraid if I watch them, they're going to do bad. <laughs> but um, So, yeah, that, that was great, and uh, we'll talk more about that. Obviously talk more about this uh, upcoming Auburn-LSU game, uh, talk more about everything else is going on in the world of sports, and, yeah, ready to get to it. Brooks will be joining us momentarily uh, as he uh, continues to work behind the scenes and produce some great stuff for us. So he'll be with us in just a moment. But we we spent the majority of the 5 o'clock hour yesterday talking about the Braves, talking about playoff formats, and just the state of the MLB playoffs. And yesterday we saw Game 2s for the NLDS Today we're going to see Game 3s for the ALDS. And 
what a, a, a difference a day makes, what a difference a few innings make for the Braves. When we left here, things were very bleak. Philly had, had taken a lead. Uh, they were up 3 nothing after a JT Real Muto homer. And they added another run in the middle innings. And all the while, not only were the Braves still not on the scoreboard for the playoffs, they were not even in the hit column through five innings yesterday. Zach Wheeler was was absolutely tremendous. And this was the fear of losing game one because you knew that it would get more difficult from the Phillies pitching perspective, at least in a starting capacity, to then have Zach Wheeler and then eventually it'll be Aaron Nola in game three. And the Braves were they just looked slow. They looked sluggish. They looked lifeless. And they had uh, again no hits. They were striking out. What was it? The six straight strikeouts for outs. The yeah. first two innings. Yeah, just, there there was an error, uh, yeah. an error in the second inning to allow a base runner. But other than that, it was six strikeouts. And so, I mean, not even making contact. That ninety-seven fastball from Zach Wheeler blowing by uh, Braves hitters. Uh, they started to make some weak contact in the fourth and fifth inning. Uh, but again, just utterly lifeless until sixth inning. Really big sequence, I thought, because this. I talked. I had a friend ask me before the game yesterday. Texted me. Was just like, what are the keys to the game? And I said the most important thing was the Braves need to score early, and they didn't do that. To be fair, but I said they need to score early because just that getting a run on the board will take a weight off of this team. Like once they just see a number on there. It's one of those things in sports. If you can just get going, however that looks like for whatever sport you're playing, like if you're not shooting well, if you just hit one shot, see the ball go in, maybe you get it going. If in football, if you could just get one stop, maybe right. the defense gets going. And for for the Braves, for this team, it was can you just can you just score? If you score, you'll start to get back that confidence. Say we were the best team in baseball hitting, not for this year. But historically, in our entire franchise history, this was the best offensive output uh, of the Braves this year. Once you get going and get that confidence, remember who you are. So they get that run in the six off of, of a poorly played ball by Turner. And I know you've seen all the highlight yeah. packages by now. But hey, then also let me say this too, Tom. That was a lineup deal where, okay, we talked briefly about, okay, this was the same lineup. So you, you had all these hitting Second. after Acuna. Right, not Riley. Uh, right. And now, to be fair, Riley ends up in his spot, hit, having the biggest the hit of the night. But it Braves only had four hits, but they were all incredibly impactful at the just right time. And I can't help but wonder. I, there is one lineup thing I want to critique in just a moment, but I can't help but wonder if just the feel of hitting in the right moment yeah. aided them because they were used to hitting in those types of situations. Yeah, uh, maybe. All I know is this: at the beginning of that game, that the Braves batters looked lost uh, against Wheeler. Uh, we sat here and watched the first two innings uh, as we were trying to get off the air. Uh, uh, no, I mean, swinging, uh, they, there were a couple of strikeouts that were high fastballs that they just, I mean, not even close, that just ridiculously missed. And then swinging at the breaking balls that, that were just very feeble swings. I mean, they, ju- they, they looked absolutely lost 
against Wheeler. And and then, of course, you start out the game freed on the mound. He throws 30 pitches in the first inning and gives up a run. And, you know, Philly looked confident at the plate. They were making solid contact on the ball. Um, freed was, you know, not – I mean, he was kind of sort of struggling some with location. But, I mean, when he put it kind of over the plate, they were hitting the pee out of the ball. And it was just, you know, it, it just was setting up over those first two innings. This is going to be a disaster. The Braves look lost at the plate. Freed just doesn't have his stuff, and the Phillies' bats are just going at it. And so, uh, I, you know, I was just – it didn't. It did not look good, but the Braves were able to piece enough together. Darno gets a home run. Uh, you do get that first run where the very heads-up play with Acuna at third. Uh, you know, he comes off the back just enough that when it uh, gets misplayed there on the infield and rolls just far enough away, he's able to score and get the first run across the plate. And yet that's it. That's that breath of fresh air. I mean, when you've just been struggling that bad to just get anything going and you get the one across the plate, you're like, okay, here we go. Finally, uh, you know, we're off the snide here. We, we've got us a run across, and now it feels like you can relax a little bit more, uh, and then you start going. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it just it was great. And, and, yeah, they only had four hits. It wasn't like they just started mashing the ball. Uh, they just got the hits timely enough and big enough for, for what they needed. Like I said, Darno had a home run. And then Riley hits a 3-2 pitch where his top hand comes off the bat. It, it, that was a defensive swing. That that was not the typical Riley massive big boy cut that he just hammers. 3-2 slider, he was just trying to stay alive in the bat. And if you watch it, his top hand actually even comes off. He just kind of threw the bat head out there at the ball to try to stay alive and was able to get enough juice on it to get it out of the park. So even then, you know, not just that mammoth swing that we're used to seeing, but it was enough. And so now you're hoping that that's going to be that momentum that can kind of keep them going forward as they get ready to head to Philadelphia now where they need to try to win one in Philly. Uh, Obviously, if Philly takes two in there, then it's over. You need to win one uh, to give yourself a chance to come back home for game five. You'd ideally like to go ahead and take both of them and just wrap it up. But at least you've now put yourself in position to where you, you got can options. Envision. You've got options now. Uh, unlike the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are now 0-2 to the Diamondbacks. And, uh, again, that goes back to talking about that long break. Uh, I mean, the Dodgers were a team that was right there neck and neck with the Braves. Yeah. I mean, a, just an incredible lineup with MVP potential all over the place with uh, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and everybody else on that lineup. And that pitching staff, I mean, that pretty much when you look at it just on paper, you're like, it's going to either be the Dodgers or the Braves, most likely. Well, now the Dodgers are one win away from their season being over with. So, right, and Braves for, still and, not in the. And, and the Braves, yeah, the Braves yeah. have not wrapped this thing up by any means, but the Braves did fight back and get that win, which was, you know, very, very crucial because the last thing you want to do is try to go. Uh, you know, must win two games in Philadelphia. You you've at least gave yourself a little bit of leeway where if you do drop one, that's not it. So it's good. We've now got Brooks Childress who is joining us in the studio. And uh, Brooks, I'm sure you can deduce that uh, we are very happy about the, the Braves outcome last night and, and talking baseball. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a, it was a good win for the Braves. Get back on track there. It was quite depressing to start things off um i'll tell you what it, it's uh it, it's it looked like they were uh it, it looked like they were in trouble it looked like it was it was real trouble because it you know at, at the first 
five innings of that game, you, you looked at it and you said, well, 0-2 going back to Philadelphia or going to Philadelphia for the first time um, and you got to play – uh, in, in Citizens Bank Park, and which is a, a very formidable place when it comes to the playoffs, um, uh, Phil- Philadelphia fans pack it out, and it's loud in there, and it, it's uh, it's an intimidating atmosphere to go in, uh, especially in the playoffs. And so you you looked at it and you thought, well, this is this is what it could be. And then that sixth inning hit, and you know you you just got that little bit of a little bit of a momentum there with uh, Ozzy Albies getting the single, the RBI single. Um, and that was the little spark that they needed to come, to come back. You had Travis Darno in the the seventh. You had Austin Riley in the eighth, and then uh, Austin Riley part of the uh, the big one in the ninth. Um, and so it's uh, you got a chance now. You've got you've set yourself up going back to Philly, and uh, it's it's a this could be one of those games where you know the Braves battled back, and it it just kind of you know it, it was a you know, the Phillies hat the Phillies thought they were you know in in the prime position halfway through that game. This could be one of those games where it's a, you know, uh, the the Phillies may, you know, it, some teams may not recover from it. And I don't know if that Phillies team is one of these. They're pretty hot right now. Uh, they were hot coming into the playoffs. And so I don't I don't know if this would be a situation for this Phillies teams. But in some playoff uh, in some playoff series and different uh, different teams, you get into those situations where you think you have it, you blow a lead, you uh, you lose it in a in a very dramatic fashion, and then you just don't recover the rest of the way. And so hopefully for the Braves' sake, um, it's a it, it, that is the scenario here where the Braves go to Philadelphia, and uh, I'll I'll take what. Uh, what Tom you you uh, put out there on the menu is uh, just wrap it up in Philly in two. Uh, I think that sure. would be great. Um, Got momentum on your side now. Absolutely, and so you know, make try, take advantage of it. Take uh, take advantage of the momentum and get your bats back out there. And it, it may just have been that those, those three little innings right there, the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning last night could could be what sparked this team back into life for the postseason. Yeah. So. Right now, I'm going to let you listen to the two moments of decision. This is from the Braves Radio Network. I'm going to play that. I'm sure most people have heard this. Maybe even Ben Ingram's call. Uh, but we didn't even. We haven't even talked about the last game or the last play. Right. And we that's have not why, even discussed. And that's it, why we're going to incredible. let uh, let everyone hear it first, and or maybe enjoy it again for the second, third, or eighteenth time. Uh, for so, me, uh, right. So hey, every angle that they had on TV, watching the crowd. I was I watched every angle of that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, let's hear it again via the Braves radio network. Three two pitch, and he hits a high fly ball deep left field back to the wall and is gone. Austin Riley hitting him where it hurts, and the Braves take the lead in the eighth. The Braves have erupted. They've taken the lead, and this place is an insane asylum. Two balls, two strikes, one down. Iglesias looking into his catcher, ready to fire. 2-2 in the air out towards right center field. Harris going to go back. Harris back to the warning track. He leaps. Michael's got it. He's got it. They fired it in, and it rolls across the infield. Taken by Riley. He throws to the back. They double him off. Ball game over. Braves win. I've never seen a play like that. Braves even up the series. It was back to the wall. Harris went to the wall. Harper took off. He made a leaping catch of the wall. Fired it in. It rolled past Albies. Backing up the play was Riley. He secured it through to the bag. Doubled off Harper. And the Braves even up the series. 
Craziest double play you're ever going to see. What a catch by Michael Harris. So, again, that was uh, Ben Ingram, Joe Simpson on the Atlanta Oof, Braves Radio that Network. That gets me fired up. Absolutely. So, here are the particulars about how momentous some of those plays were last night. Well, one thing I'm going to – but I know you're going to read it. Ben Ingram says, I've never seen a play like that in my life. Well, you're right. Right. Uh, so, he's <laughs> going with a couple of these others first. So, that Austin Riley home run, the go-ahead go homer, while trailing in the eighth inning or later – and Braves postseason history, that's only the third time the Braves have had a go-ahead homer, eighth inning or later, while trailing. The others, 1998 NLCS Game 5, Michael Tucker, and 2010 NLDS Game 3, Eric Hinsky. And so Austin wow. Riley, the third to do that. And then the four-run comeback win ties the largest comeback win in Braves postseason history, along with, again, the aforementioned 2010 uh, series against, uh, or I guess this was a different game actually. That series, game two at San Francisco, uh, when they uh, th- that was I think they got up two one, blew that series if I recall. But uh, so that was or blew that game three actually that Erickinski game. And then as Tom just mentioned, the first eight five three double play in postseason history, and it's all I mean at any point in any game, and yeah. of course the first time a double play from the outfield to end a game. Yeah. So, like I said, Ben Ingram says, I've never seen anything like that. You're right, because it has never happened, at least in postseason play. Um, Man, just breaking that play down is so incredible. So, first of all, Michael Harris, uh, I I read the stat cast on on this. Uh, At the moment the ball was in the air, he had a 45% chance of catching that. All right, so 45%. He had to run, I think, 95 feet, I think is what it was. So, all the way for anybody that has not seen it. He goes from his center field position to the gap uh, in right center all the way to the wall, leaps, catches the ball, and hammers into the wall and hangs on to it. I was going to say the key there is hangs on to the ball. Hangs on to the wall. Uh, hangs on to the ball as he's hitting it. And, I mean, that, you could hear on the on the uh, replay when, when uh, the ball is hit, you kind of hear this groan out of the fans because it's like, yeah. oh, no. Um, but he So he runs 95 feet, uh, 45% chance of catching the ball. He makes the catch. Um, he said himself that he did not realize that Bryce Harper was where he was at. So Bryce Harper was on first and was obviously a little bit antsy to try to score a run. Yeah. On contact with just one out, obviously on two with two strikes, you're running on contact and you just run and keep running. He makes a mistake thinking it's going to fall into the gap. So he actually gets two second, touches second, and rounds second, and then realizes it gets caught. He has to put on the brakes. He slips. He has to get back, touch second, and then get back to first. Michael Harris catches the ball, does not even realize that uh, he's that far away, and so he's just trying to get the ball back into the infield as quick as he can. Well, uh, Albies and uh, Arcia have their back to him, getting the ball back in. They also don't realize how far he's at. Austin Riley at third sees him. And Austin Riley is screaming and pointing at first base. And I, I, I can't hear him, but I can put myself plenty of times on a baseball or a softball field. He is running towards second base, pointing and screaming, one, 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 trying to desperately get somebody to hear him to throw the ball to first. So he's screaming and running towards them. The ball gets to Acuna, who's going to field it, and he misses it, and it rolls right to Riley. Who, Albies. Uh, Albies, I'm sorry. Uh, Albies uh, 
tries to scoop it. He I was, he I was trying to think of like, that was impressive if Acuna was yeah, backing no, no, up no, Harris in the outfield. They got to um, the infield. But he tries to he, – he misplays it and it rolls. Well, Riley, because of his momentum where he was already running that way, screaming at these guys to go to one, put himself in the perfect backup position. So when the ball rolls past um, – uh, when the Albies. Uh, Albies, when it rolls past Albies, he's right there. He scoops it like an infielder on the run and throws an absolute dart to first base to double off Bryce Harper and end the game. So it was epic to hear it, but when you actually watch the play and realize what is going on with that, that makes it even that much more epic. Uh, so Austin Riley is the hero twice. So he hits the go-ahead of home run, and then the heads up to realize – that they have a chance to get the double off and gets himself in position to get a loose ball and fire an absolute dart to first base to win the game. Man. Never been done. Goodness gracious. You've never been done in that, in that fired situation. Up just talking about it. Absolutely. We've got time for one quick phone call before we get to Justin Ferguson at 3.30 on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Matt from Tallahassee. Matt is with us. Matt, how are you this afternoon? Heck Hi. yeah. Amen. Hi, Tom. What's up? What's up, bro? What's up, man? Hey, Tom, where's your girlfriend at? Probably either at work or in the car riding home from work. She has a $950. <laughs> okay. Hey, I got, hey, I got a message for you guys. Go, dog! Yeah. Okay. No, thanks. Hey, I, hey I'm going for a dollar against Andy. Oh, well. I mean, they'll beat Vanderbilt, yeah, but that's still I mean, not my preference. Yeah. And they got a score for the Auburn score in Ellis. Who? I got Auburn 59 to 23. That'd be it. I, I could see LSU's defense giving up 59 points. I don't know that it would necessarily be to Auburn. Uh, their defense is pretty bad, but I don't know that Auburn can score fifty nine. But hey, I like your enthusiasm. Or I could go like I can go. <laughs> I'm not stick to hey, stick to your score. I like it. All right, I can go forty eight to forty five. Sure, I, sure. Hey, as as long as Auburn gets a win, I, I they could win three to nothing, and as long as they win, I'm good with it. And or or, or I can go thirty eight twenty four. Yeah. What what else you got for us, Matt? Um, what do you guys think about the uh, offer that Auburn got for the quarterback for 2025? Uh, I, I I didn't see that one. I I, I know they've been offering a, a lot of different players at, at all the positions. They're recruiting like crazy right now. Yeah. Hey, wait, what do you got? Hey, Brooke. Yeah. What do you think about Auburn uh, soccer beating uh, Ar- uh, Arkansas? Yeah, big win, big win. They haven't had a lot of uh, big wins this year in conference play, but uh, was able to gut that one out and get a, get a huge win over a, a really good Arkansas team. Hey, Tom, what do you think about it? Oh, it's big time. Any Anytime you can beat a, a highly ranked team like that, uh, that's really good. And, I, and it's a, been an Auburn team that's kind of really been up and down a lot this season, so for them to get that big win over Arkansas is it, huge. So do you guys think Auburn could probably – be ranked if they win some more uh, uh, soccer games. Uh, it's going to be tough. Like I said, they they've they've lost quite a bit. They're they've 
They're they, towards the bottom of the SEC. Yeah, they, they have not really been very good this season, and so that's why it was that big that they got that victory over Arkansas because they've, they've really not had a great season so far. Well, hey, what do you guys think about the Auburn basketball schedule? Uh, we're going to do the one, the, uh, the one in Atlanta, and then uh, Auburn plays, I think, November, sometime like November the 19th or something. Yeah, uh, yeah it'll, be a good, it'll be a good test for Auburn in that non-conference schedule. We've got some big opponents. Yeah, and what do you guys think about the players at Auburn? I uh, got uh, uh, Anthony or something like that. I heard he's going to be real good this year. Yeah, a lot of talent on that roster this year. Wait, hey, uh, hey, uh, Brent, are you going to be uh, Ryan? Ryan, is yeah. Brent going to be on any more volleyball games this year? Uh, is I think Brent's going to be scheduled to do a couple more volleyball games. I, I, I'm not exactly sure what all he's scheduled for. Well, hey, tell them to look for me in the in the stands and um for uh, so when it goes to the next volleyball game. All right, we will do that. Well, hey, if you guys hear from Sean, tell me he's fired. <laughs> okay, we we certainly will. You guys are re- you all you guys are rehired. Awesome. Hey, don't forget my main man, uh, Bo Jackson, or Barn Reader, and get JJ back on. Yeah, we we will be working on him. All right, worry, guys. Hey, We're- Tom. Hey. Yeah. Hey, Tom. We'll do it. All right, Matt. I'll do it. War Eagle, Matt. We appreciate that phone call. That is Matt from Tallahassee. Matt for Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to take our next time out of the show, and that's because Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will be joining us after this time out. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Join our conversation. Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday afternoon as we go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. And we now welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Justin, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you this afternoon? I'm all right. How are you? Doing very well. Doing much better after that Braves game last night. I have to ask you about that towards the end of our conversation. Uh, But we'll start off here with Auburn and LSU week and Obviously, Auburn having the bye last weekend. Uh, and one of the things that each team tries to do on the bye is try to get healthier. What are some of the, the injury updates for the Tigers here moving forward? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they do have a long-term injury coming out of that bye week. Um, and that is Messiah Nasila Kite. It's going to be out for the season with a torn bicep. Uh, big blow for Auburn. Guy who's played a lot of football. Played a lot of football this season after transferring from Maryland. It's going to be on Keldrick Clark to step up uh, and, and you know kind of move into that starting role. He's played really well this year. Wrote about it on Monday at the Observer. Um, he's a guy who probably needed more playing time anyway, and uh, now he's going to get it. You know by necessity uh, here with Auburn facing uh, 
LSU this weekend. I would also expect to see Zacchaeus Walker play a little bit more at defensive end. Uh, we talked to Jalen Simpson today. Um, you know, he came out of that Georgia game in the fourth quarter and um, was banged up. You know, made a big difference in Georgia, able to pull up that uh, out that win. Um, but Simpson says he's fine, uh, should be able to go this week. Um, got some other guys that are a little banged up, uh, wide receiver wise. You got Malcolm Johnson Jr. Um, you know, dealing dealing with uh, you know, some injuries, some others. Um, you know, for Auburn, Demari Austin's doubtful right now. Um, you know, Free said they would try to get him back before either the LSU game or the Ole Miss game. So we'll keep an eye on that this week um, and see, you know, if Auburn could have him back uh, either this week uh, when they go down to Baton Rouge. So, you know, team's still banged up. Um, defense has lost now three starters to long-term injuries at all three levels with Nasila Kite, Austin Keys, Keontae Scott. So, um, you know, it's just next man up. Um, they did those minor injuries. I think the time is going to help. But, uh, you know, you did pick up another big one with uh, Nasila Kite out for the season. And, and, Justin, with that defense, as you alluded to, already missing some starters, obviously – Probably their greatest challenge of the year, uh, or at least one of them. Maybe Ole Miss will be on the same playing field the next week. But Jaden Daniels is one of the country's leaders in total offense. What makes him so good? Yeah, so he's just played a lot of football. He's a really good dual threat quarterback. Great at getting out of the pocket. Um, you know, good at making making things happen when stuff breaks down. He's got elite receivers too. I mean, um, the league neighbors and those guys are, are fantastic. Auburn's gonna have their hands full in this game, um, and you know. For Auburn's defense, I think you come into this game thinking, hey, we just need to hold them to some field goals. Um, if they start stacking sevens on you, you're in trouble. But if you can hold them to threes um, a little more often, then you feel like you might be in a, uh, in a much better spot. I think the good news for Auburn's defense is that they have played pretty solidly this year against some good competition, um, made some stops, had some runs where they've played pretty well. You know, the defense is kind of top 40 in the country right now in a lot of categories. Um, that's solid. And they're going to need that on Saturday. Those guys are going to have to step up and play well. Um, but, you know, the LSU, why is LSU so good on offense? They got a really talented, experienced dual threat quarterback in Jaden Daniels. And uh, they got some, you know, as always, LSU's just got insane receiver talent. Justin, shifting to the offensive side of the ball, you, you look at, you know, one of the standout performances, even though it was a loss to Georgia a couple weeks ago, was Peyton Thorne looked a little bit better in this offense, looked a little better at quarterback. What is something that you're looking for him to keep improving on as we hit the second half of the season? Yeah, can Auburn find ways to get him some easier throws? And, and, and you know, just can he be confident in his, his opportunities? Um, you look at the Georgia game, 10-19 uh, passing. Of those nine incompletions, six of them were balls that went to the receivers. They weren't misses. You know, they weren't misfires or anything like that. So, you know, I think he could have had a much better day. You know, haul in a few of those passes, take away a couple of those drops. You know, you feel like, um, you know, it could have been a big step forward for him against an awesome Georgia defense. The thing is, LSU's defense is playing pretty poorly right now. Uh, this is one of the worst defenses in the country this year on a per-play basis, both on the ground and through the air. Um, but the thing about LSU that – you know, people need to keep in mind is that Auburn's got to be able to throw the ball. Like, even though LSU is not very good at stopping the run, you know, they're, the most of their talent on defense is up front. Uh, Harold Perkins, Mason Smith, guys like that. If, if Auburn comes into that game and is one-dimensional, um, you know, they're talented enough to just really limit Auburn on the ground. So they've got to have Peyton Thorne make some plays and, you know, be confident in his throws, have the receivers step up, make catches, make plays, because – the last three weeks, um, you know, the, over the last three weeks, LSU has allowed 
over a thousand yards passing to their last three opponents combined. Um, Auburn, I mean, if, if you can't throw the ball, I'm not saying they're going to throw 300 on LSU because that would be a huge step forward. But if they can't find some success through the air against LSU this weekend, then it could be a long second half of the year because um, LSU just looks like a team that's kind of lost on the back end looking for answers. Teams that have not been great this season throwing the ball all told, like I think of Arkansas a few weeks ago, have been able to make some big plays downfield. Um, you got to do that. Your quarterback's got to make those plays. And Justin, uh, Hugh Freeze was asked about this uh, yesterday, but he, he kind of gave a, a non-answer, really. He didn't want to get into the specifics about the game plan, so I'll ask you. When you look at this LSU team, you've got the, the quarterback there uh, in Jaden Daniels. How do you game plan for that? Yeah, I mean, you just try to you know keep him in the pocket as much as possible. you got to be you got to keep contained. You got uh, your linebackers have got to be really good at spying and, and, and running and hitting. Um, you can't lose him. I mean, you just cannot lose him. You got to have, got to be able to mirror him. Um, you know, you might not be able to sack him a lot. You might not even be able to pressure him a ton, but keep him in the pocket. You know, um, he's a good quarterback. Like if you, you know, if you make him sit back there and throw the ball, he can still make plays and he's going to get his. But he's a lot more dangerous when he's, you know, breaking out on the move, um, scrambling, improvising. You're doing that kind of stuff because he's just a really, really talented player uh, on the ground and through the air. So, you know, Auburn would love to make him kind of one-dimensional in the fa- in the face to just limit his rushing ability as much as possible, especially on scrambles. You know, design runs, they're going to try to get him in that. You're going to have to play well there. But I think when, you know, you get the snap and, you, and, and you know, it's a pass play, make sure that he, you know, isn't given a lot of room to kind of roam around um, for Auburn. So, Lots going to be on that that defensive line to step up uh, and and keep contained. You know, be um, you know be be really uh, strict about their alignment and their uh, you know containment there. But also, I think this has got to be a big game for Auburn's linebackers. Got to be a big game for guys like Eugene Asante and Larry Nixon. Like you got to you got to run and hit him and, and bring him down when you can. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be tough on that group for sure. Saturday night, Auburn's going to be in one of the most intimidating atmospheres in the SEC. Justin, what are your thoughts on the, the new fad that is pumping noise into your practices to get ready for it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so funny how much that's kind of been a thing this week. Hey, how are you going to get ready for LSU? Well, they've already been to Texas A&M this year, and like, you know, a lot of these guys have played big-time football in the past, um, you know, a big, big environment. So I don't think the team's going to be shell-shocked by the noise, um, but you got to prepare for it, and you got to have a good plan, and you know, I think the, the off week was just a really good time for Auburn because when you look at how talented LSU's offense is and you look at how susceptible LSU's defense is, having some extra time to prepare for these guys specifically, I think it's going to be a good thing in the long run for Auburn. Um, but it'll be tough. I mean, you know, LSU's a double-digit favorite for a reason. Um, but, you know, for Auburn, it's like when you go down there, play like you did with Georgia a couple weeks ago, you can go down there, make it a four-quarter game competitive uh, and see if you can pull it out at the end because – I think if they're in there tight with LSU down the stretch, they've got the ability to win this game um, just because I'm just not sold on this LSU defense at all. Now, Justin, when we're talking about how Auburn can find a way to successfully pass the ball against a P5 opponent, what what does that look like? Because obviously LSU has been susceptible to just about anything and everything defensively so far. Does that look like for, uh, first down, play action passing? Is it deep shots? If it, is it the safe stuff? What, what can Auburn try to take advantage of specifically in the passing game? Yeah, I think you got to throw it downfield on them. Uh, when I look at LSU, I see a lot of breakdowns. I see a lot of busted coverages. Um, you know, I think 
you know, don't want to down these guys too, too much because they're college football players. They're, they're trying their hardest out there. But uh, LSU's best cornerback this year was playing at Southeastern Louisiana last year. And that's just kind of – it's not the same level. Like, when you think of, like, Derek Stingley and some of those guys that have been hit there recently and obviously further back with, like, Tyree Matthews and Patrick Peterson and that, like, to see a place like LSU, a DBU, um, you know, candidate have this many struggles on the back end is pretty telling. And I think – for Auburn, it's, you know, I think Auburn should throw on early downs more often. Um, you know, I think they, they can they can make those third downs a little bit more manageable for themselves if they start some drives with passes. But you do know they're going to come in there. And they're, they're, Auburn's going to want to run the ball in this game. Because if you run the ball, you work the clock, you keep the ball out of the hands of LSU's offense, play complimentary football, that's Auburn's best chance to come out of there with a win. Um, but I do think when I look at this, this LSU team, um, I see breakdowns. I see, you know, guys not being in the right position. I see, you know, just misses uh, back there. So um, it shouldn't just be all dink and duck. Um, I think Auburn, you know, Peyton Thorne, he, with his struggles this season, and they haven't done this a ton, but if you look at him statistically, Peyton Thorne's biggest asset is still being able to throw the beat ball. And I think they're going to have to stretch the field and let them turn it loose a little bit. You look at the A&M game and you look at the Georgia game, one of the big differences uh, for Auburn in, in that game was the depth of target, the, you know, the, the, the A-dot of um, Peyton Thorne's throws. Like, he did stretch the field a little bit more against Georgia than he did against a and I think they're going to have to do that again against LSU. Can't just, can't just go side to side. You can, you can be aggressive and go after this defense, I think. Uh, you know, and a lot has been made about that secondary, but looking at LSU up front and uh, obviously with Auburn at the offensive line, is, do you feel like that offensive line is going to be able to protect enough for those abilities to take those shots downfield? I, you know, I think they're I think they're doing a better job of keeping them, you know, protected. Um, obviously, they're they're this 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 offensive line has been a lot better run blocking this season. They have taken a real step forward in the run blocking, pass protecting. Mixed bag. I don't think all the sacks are on those guys. You know, I think some of the sacks are on the quarterback. I think some of the sacks, as Free said yesterday, are on the coaches not not getting it prepared correctly and not having the right answers uh, for those kind of pressures. LSU is going to try to move some guys around and and get after them. Um, they do have a really talented interior line, um, you know. And then obviously Harold Perkins is just when they play him in the right spots, Harold Perkins can be one of the best players in the country. Um, so I, you know, I think Auburn, you know, I can see Auburn doing a lot of outside runs, you know, using their quarterbacks and doing that stuff. But yeah, they, they're going to have to hold up in protection because you have a game plan right there. I mean, how many times have we seen A and M and Georgia these last couple of weeks that Auburn's played get free rushers? And so Auburn hasn't really shown how to counter that yet. They better have, you know, worked on that and found ways to to get rid of it because I'm sure as much as LSU struggling and like Free said yesterday, like. LSU kind of ran two totally different game plans against Ole Miss and Missouri on defense. Um, they're searching for answers. They're going to try to throw anything out of Auburn and see what sticks. And, you know, I'm sure they're going to watch the Georgia and A&M film and say, hey, this is how you get after Auburn. So Auburn's got to be able to have those counters. Uh, and that week off should have helped them in that. Talking to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call. Justin, uh, let's, let's talk Braves for just a moment. I know you were – able to go to game one. Game two was looking a lot like game one until the, the latter innings there. Talk about the, the difference a couple of innings makes and, and, and you're just all your Braves thoughts right now. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was impressive because, I mean, you know, I spent the first five innings of that game thinking, like, man, they did, you know, you should have gotten them in game one. Zach Wheeler was just making a ton of awesome pitches. Braves just kind of looked kind of lifeless. And they kept chipping away. And uh, I think when you have a lineup 
I mean, Travis Darno is not even your everyday catcher, and he hits a clutch home run. Um, you know, you, you get big plays from several different guys in the lineup. Austin Riley with two strikes um, hits one out in the eighth. Like, you know, um, this team's so talented and, and, and deep that, like, you know, it's eventually going to work. Like, I didn't, you know, as, as bad as it looked uh, for most of that game last night, you just kind of had it in the back of your head that was like, okay, exactly there can't be perfect forever. And, you know, that, that, uh, that Phillies bullpen may give them some opportunities, and sure enough, they did. Um, and so I think that was one of those things where, like, look, it's just one game. You know, a lot of the problems we saw in game one and game two, like, still happen. They still exist. But the way Atlanta came back, you know, to hit a go-ahead home run, you know, down to four outs uh, left, um, and then to have probably the craziest double play you'll ever see to end that game, and just the, the emotion and the excitement and just kind of rip, just ripping that game away from the Phillies, um, it changes the tone, right? You know, yeah. it, you know, the Atlanta still struggled uh, for most of these these first couple games, but it's one one, and so you go to Philly knowing that you need to take at least one of them, and you could you know have Game Five back in um, back in Atlanta if you need it. Um, but I do I, I want to see tomorrow. Is you know should give you a, give you a lift because this team was this team looked dead like they looked dead for most of these these first two games, and then they pulled it out of nowhere. And I just think emotionally that can be such a lift for this team. And I'm looking forward to see how they respond, um, you know, tomorrow. And maybe they can jump on Aaron Nola a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, the Braves did get that win. But I, I actually uh, talked to you on Twitter a little bit about it last night. But uh, And now the Dodgers are in this situation. But we mentioned the long break uh, between uh, having to wait on the wild card series. You know, are the Braves feeling the effects of that? Are the Dodgers feeling the effects of that? You know, how big of a thing is it to have to sit there for – really a week waiting to finally play another game. Yeah, no, I think it's huge. I mean, think about it. Like the Orioles had one of the best seasons. Yep. Yeah, they, they, they're, they're on verge of elimination tonight. I know the Astros split that opening two games against the against the Rangers, but, yeah, the break doesn't help. Because baseball is such a unique sport. I mean, once you go back, go back all the way to, like, March, I mean, you're playing pretty much every day or every, you know, most every day for months and months and months. And the layoff, like, it's a sport where – breaks don't necessarily help you as much somebody pointed out to me on twitter uh, that i had probably kind of forgotten uh remember atlanta won one of only one of their next four coming out of the all-star break this year yeah and they were the hottest team in baseball so like the break just does not seem to help i get why you know find a way to get more teams in the playoffs um you know reward a team for you know doing well I, it makes sense in theory but this isn't football like and this isn't basketball either like this is a sport that like you 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 get it's all about rhythm and routine and groove and guys are out of it and so yeah I mean like I'm shocked that the Diamondbacks have been able to do what they've done against the Dodgers but then again like the Dodgers had a long layoff so it'll be very interesting to see uh, how they how they recover I, I would you know I, I I hope the Braves are able to overcome it um, but I am not really shocked that uh, that the Orioles are in the position they are and you know the Dodgers might find themselves in the same spot tomorrow. He's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today on Sports Call. Yeah. Ferg, what do we have going on uh, with the Observer this week? Uh, we've got, uh, you know, Sori uh, came out today on Auburn's uh, offense, um, you know, and just, just trying to find some sort of passing game against, uh, you know, LSU. Uh, yesterday I wrote a story on Brian Batie and um, Tucker Falkwell. I think those are the biggest guys to watch coming out of the off week. Tomorrow i got a story on Auburn's defense. Got 13 for 13. Might have some basketball later this week. Mailbag, previewing the LSU game. So, ton of stuff for the Observer. Uh, it's a great time to sign up. AuburnObserver.com, $6 a month, $60 a year. 
We email everything out to you, and uh, we've got a ton of stuff coming here over the next few weeks. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call Ferg. As always, the time's greatly appreciated. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you, guys. That is Justin Ferguson today on Sports Call. One quick final timeout. We'll be back to wrap up hour number one right after this. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us on the program today. Again, a couple more minutes left here in the first hour of the program as Auburn does turn its attention to LSU. I mean, what are the what are your realistic expectations for defending Jaden Daniels on Saturday? Contain. <laughs> contain, yeah. Help. Try to contain. Just don't, yeah. don't, don't let him <laughs> help. Don't let him go. Here's my thing. If you're gonna get beat, it needs to be by somebody else. You know he is dynamic. You know there are some other good players around him, but I mean Daniels is is like truly dynamic dude. Don't let him beat you. If somebody else beats you, if if somebody else just has a great game, then you know, we've tried to defend that and whatever, but the guy that you know it, it can hurt you in so many ways. Don't let him have a Heisman Trophy-type game. Keep him under wraps. He's going to make plays. You have to expect that that's going to happen, but limit how many of those plays that he makes. So, yes, it's going to be a contain. I don't think there's any shutting him down. That's I think that's unrealistic. I think that's exactly what Hugh Freeze was talking about in the press conference, is that you don't just stop him. He, he's not a guy that you just completely shut down, but you have to contain him and limit the amount of explosive plays that he's capable to make. Like I said, if somebody else on that team has a big day and beats you, you obviously you don't want that to happen. You try to defend it, but don't let him be the guy that beats you when you go into that game knowing that's the one guy that you've got to stop above all else. Yeah, it's just so it's just so difficult because what we've seen out of Daniels is he can do both pass and run sure. at any moment equally well and in fact like Daniels is interesting because when I think of Daniels running I don't really think of design QB runs I just think of oh he got the edge here he goes He's making something and, happen and it, and it's like organized chaos as he scrambles and he does it so fluidly because he is just barely their second lead rusher he's almost their leading rusher uh, at over 400 yards on the season. And, of course, LSU being in six games, I mean, he's on pace for about an 800 to 900 rushing yard year. 
and it's not even necessarily uh you know a lot of of design runs like i said i mean he is very adept at working the pocket and then running not working the pocket to then throw but obviously with the wide receivers they have mainly malik neighbors but then brian thomas as well who production wise is actually right there with neighbors i don't think people realize thomas actually has nine touchdowns already receiving in six games and again he's still not technically their best receiver uh it 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 is it is an all-encompassing threat that he poses i mean you look at uh some of the best defenses in the country and i want to go i'm going to take you even back further than just this year i'm going to go back to the sec championship game last year lsu versus georgia the game was over at halftime it was 35 to 10 at the half uh you you look at the stats they put garrett nussmeyer in the entire second half basically for for lsu but in one half versus that georgia defense they only scored, a, he only threw for one touchdown, but it was still 16 of 24 for 208 passing yards. 208 passing yards in one half on that Georgia defense last year is impressive. And so you, you know, you, you look at it, you look at he, and he's just gotten better since then. Um, he, he's a guy that, you, like you guys said, and like Justin Ferguson, you have to contain, you have to, you have to really. Uh, you know, I, I would say with a quarterback like this, you know, you have to make sure that he cannot, because he's got some dynamic wide receivers, keep on, you know, good solid coverage and force him to pull the ball down. You may not want him to pull the ball down because he can move. He, he's got a, he's got the legs to move around. You've got to be able to do some weird things. You got to be able to 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 keep him off balance, blitz from different areas, um, and, and just you know keep him guessing of where where stuff's going to come from this weekend. We are out of time for hour number one, but stay tuned. In hour number two, we'll have more of your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We'll also deep dive more onto some Auburn LSU. We'll also look at some of the other games that just happened this past weekend. Maybe some NFL coming up and uh, an update on the ALDS in Major League Baseball. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two underway, Sports Call on this Tuesday. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here live from our studios on South College Street. Appreciate everyone that is tuning in. However, you may be tuning in on this Tuesday. We're going to start hour number two 
by going back to the orthopedic clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up here in hour number two, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Much better after that 5-4 to four win last night because I was like Tom. I said, you know, I just I can't bear this. You know, it's bad if I have to be you know, anxiety and stress-ridden, you know, with watching Auburn. So I said, I'm just going to turn away from it. And I did. I walked away. And my daughter's watching, and she, says, she starts screaming. I said, what, what? And they just hit a home run. I said, oh, my God. So uh, I ended up, you know, uh, watching it. And then I thought, oh, here it goes again. Ninth inning, walks the first batter on. And I said, no, 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 no. It's never good when you walk a batter, right? Right, leadoff walks, usually not good. And uh, it, uh, I, I mean, uh, the guy said about read it again on the Internet. The first eight five three double play because I kept saying please let it be double play. I didn't think it was gonna be that kind of double play, guys. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, literally the first time it's ever happened that way. Gee, I mean, uh, talk about rarities. Uh, nine out of ten times that never happens, right? Yeah, I mean, well, nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine out of ten thousand, according to baseball. I mean, think of the long history of baseball and its postseason. I know that used used to only be a World Series for a long time, and. And re- really recently, last 20 or 30 years, have they started to expand the playoffs. But, I mean, this is a sport with a lot of history, so to do anything for the first time is impressive. Now, I didn't see it. Uh, they didn't show it very good. Uh, at least I missed it. Guys, did you see how close uh, – what was his name? Was it a Harper? Yeah, running the bases. Yeah, uh, Castellanos yeah. in the batter's how close, box. How close was he to second base before he had to turn back around? He had he, passed he, he, yeah, he was he, already on his way to third. He, he was uh, He was about – yeah, he was about three or four steps past second uh, when Harris caught it, and then he started to hesitate, and then he started to come back. So, yeah, no, he'd, he'd already passed second. Okay. If he'd have gone on, could he have made it, you think, safe, rather than going, trying to go back to first? Uh, well, he had to well, go he back to first. Fr- he, he had to go yeah, back because right. there was only one out. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. All right, well, have a comeback. All right, who are the pitchers uh, for the uh, next game? Yeah, so for Philly, they'll have Aaron Nola, who is their second-best right. pitcher, pitched very well in the uh, wild-card game against uh, the Marlins. And the Braves, I, I, I've i read conflicting reports. I thought it would be Bryce Elder, who's been in their rotation all year long, but some people suggest it may be this young guy named A.J. Smith-Shaver, who started a few times for Atlanta this year, was called up to the majors this year, done a little long relief, done some starting, but but kind of more of a bullpen-like game in Game 3. Certainly Atlanta's going to feel less confident about their starter than Philly. And uh, you guys mentioned it briefly, but I also read on the internet that people, uh, sports writers I was reading on USA, and so, uh, were uh, commenting and criticizing that uh, the coaching staff uh, made some realignments, you know, in the order of batting, you know, and all. Well, guys, what about that? You know, why do you think they did that? And do do you think they'll go back to the regular season? You know, lineup. Well, well, they did for game two. Ga- game one was the was the different lineup. It was okay. uh, just a couple of things were different about it. Uh, Albies was not hitting second. He was hitting cleanup. Olson moved up to third. Riley moved up to second. So uh, last night was a regular season lineup. Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. Just my, so, minus the fact, you know, they, they platooned catchers all year. It was Sean Murphy and Travis Darno, and they went Darno last night, and obviously he, he had the big home run to get get him going. Guys, your thoughts, because uh, I, I really don't follow baseball. What do you think explains 
that the Braves made the comeback that they did last night the way they did it. Well, I mean, I, I think that in a, a microcosm of the law of averages of a, of a team that, that is, is an awesome offensive team having played as poorly as they could have for a game and a half, eventually the dam was going to break. Uh, I just think also being at home, I, I know it's not worked out well for home teams and it's not working out right now for the Twins who are playing the Astros, uh, but I, I still think the momentum change is quicker and more demonstrative when you're at home. And I think the Braves just really fed off that. I, I really, from the very first run they scored, the the hope began to creep back in. And and four to one is not exactly a high probability of coming back. No, that's what I'm going right. to ask you, Ryan. You know, I said, well, that's going to be the final four to one. Yeah, and uh, and then immediately, you know, they get a couple of magical swings there. I mean, they didn't end up lighting the world on fire. They just got the couple of huge hits they needed to get. So, well, you're right. They had less hits than hit the Phillies. Yeah. Yeah, but and but very important and powerful hits, and so you know it, they still overall. I don't think they're going to be pleased by that offensive output and being dominated through five innings. But uh, you know that, that's you know one game you you can have all sorts of crazy craziness happen. Unfortunately, that was positive craziness. Craziness. And yet, some of the best hitters are still asleep. They they haven't erupted. Acuna, what's well, what explains that, guys? Why why hasn't he broken out? Because it's two games, and because in a, in a long season, as we've discussed before, uh, Acuna's had plenty of offers this year. I I know that it wouldn't feel that way because he hit three thirty, but you know he broke kind of records. Well, sure, but if you have a three, say you have a three for four day. That means, on average, he went 0 for his next five this year. And he was the, the, the second or third best average in the National League. So the, the very best is still going to have offers. And I know he's had two offers to start. But, you know, these short sample sizes, again, you know, we don't need to remind everyone, Marcel Zuna hit under 100 for a month. He hit 270 for the year. 270 is above league average. 270, I'll take that. Especially the guy hit forty home runs, and he hit under a hundred for twenty-five games. So it's it's all about the sample sizes sometimes. Okay, all right. Uh, I, and I know uh, the stats you know bear what you did all have merit. I just say that. Come on, man, Acuna. You know you can't be struggling like this. You're better uh, than than what you're performing. And he certainly is better. But uh, again, let's let's bear in mind the it's two games. Let's see how he does with these two games in Philly. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's the ones I'm worried about. Okay, speaking of worrying, guys, I'm already my worry uh, rocking chair. Uh, I heard Justin Ferguson's comments. Uh, he made a lot of good observations. Let me give you the unfortunate stats that uh, uh, don't go our way. Then, and he alluded to them uh, earlier. The, these stats are just remarkable because the stuff that she was bad at is unfortunately what we're weak at. Offensive, uh, when it comes to, to pass defense, do you know how bad LSU is? Uh, probably in the 100s. Yeah, they're, I would think. they're bad. Yeah. 121. Yeah. Yep. 121. There's only one team worse than them that's power power. Uh, that's Arizona State. Yeah. Yikes. Well, where do we rank in pass offense? Yeah, 120s. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Do you really want to go there? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a really bad offense against a really bad defense. Okay. Well, you know, it's just remarkable uh, how these uh, end up being uh, – the, these stats just go the opposite way. Okay, so here we go. 
Auburn's ranked number 21 in the country in rushing offense, which is not shabby. Yeah. 202 yards per game, while LSU's defense is allowing 163 yards per game, 96 nationally. Then we go a little deeper. Uh, in terms of yards per carry, LSU's defense is giving up 5.12 yards per carry, which is 119th nationally, with Virginia Tech the only Power 5 team that's worse than they are yeah. nationally. Yeah. So four four all the way around. Probably, we can, yeah. Uh, then when you go to their total uh, defense, uh, it's even more horrific. I know he alluded to it, uh, but they're uh, one of the, uh, 112th in the country in scoring defense. 112th, which is why they couldn't stop uh, you know, Missouri, except for Missouri's uh, untimely interception there. And then there are 124th guys in total defense, allowing 445.7 yards per game. Yeah, no, any, any way you slice it, it's really bad. There, there's no objection here. So if we have any, any kind of a, you know, quarterback and, and receivers, they, they can have a, a go-to, you know, receiver and uh, a passing, you know, uh, uh, offensive line that, that can protect the, the passer, oh, we could probably win this game, guys. And then you got who? Jaden Daniels. Now, I'm characterizing him. You guys tell me if now, nah, Steve, you're over-exaggerating on that one. But I'm saying Jaden Daniels is LSU's version of Georgia's Bowers. Without Jaden Daniels, they lose the game Saturday. Yeah, I, well, yeah. I mean, the, the different to qual- quantify the importance of those two positions, but but certainly he's their best player. So in that respect, yes. And Yeah, that's what I'm alluding yeah, to. Yeah. Without Jaden Daniels, Missouri beats him. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely think so because you saw that just for a brief sequence he got kind of banged up and then their backup Nussmeyer came in in a, in a goal line situation or, or like a goal-to-go situation and, and did not execute it and they had to take a field goal, which I think they ultimately missed anyway. Uh, so, I, I look, Nuss, yeah, I mean, Nussmeyer's I, – I don't know where he is, if he'd be competent or not, but he's not He's not close to Jaden Daniels. And, and, and no one really in the SEC, in my opinion, is that close to Jaden Daniels. So I agree. I, I think it was. Uh, I, I think uh, it was a Ferguson that said you've got to key on him. I mean, no matter who else is on the field, somebody has got to be spying on him, right? Yeah, I mean, you, but you've also got to have a, a a a spy that can actually make the play. I know Sante's tremendous. Who would that be? Who would that be, Ron? Yeah. So I I would wonder if it might be someone like Domin Kaufman. I know it's typical to more typical to spy a linebacker, but the the problem that Daniels presents is that he's faster than your linebackers. And what and about Sante? That's what I'm saying. Like Asante being uh, Auburn's, in my estimation, certainly their best player in the front seven. You know, I I. I just I would like to see foot speed wise if he can keep up, but I would I would well Coffin's not necessarily fast for safety either, but the the problem with spies again is you have someone dedicated for just that. There's still a certain level of discipline for it, and at the end of the day, if you take one step to the right, he takes a step left and goes. If he's faster than you, he, you're not going to get the angle on him, and so. I think they will utilize a spy maybe at times, but I don't think that's just a oh run a spy everything's fixed now we're going to be all right. Uh, you know th- th- it still is about actually being able to put him on the ground and make the correct angle at him because he is deceptively fast. He's very and fast. 
he's hard to bring down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, unless Missouri not does little. bad at tackling, they, they, I mean, they couldn't bring him down. Yeah, I, I I think some of that is both. I think Missouri is not as good on defense. Missouri is not as good on defense as Auburn. Um, so I think there are some struggles tackling. But I mean, also Jaden Daniels is just that good. I mean, he is that guy. I mean, is he that strong? Yes. Yeah, I mean, he's he strong is, enough. Yeah. He he is he's he is all that it is built up to be. I he's mean, a complete he is, package. He is that good. What about Marcus Harris? Is he a possible? Well, you know. Um, person to, to, to key on him? Uh, I think Marcus Harris does need to win his matchup, but I, as far as a spy or any one particular thing there, no, because he's just not going to be able to, to keep up with with, with Daniels. I, so, I, yeah, no, because, again, once he starts running side to side, that, that would not be a, a contest. So Harris does need to have a good game. I mean, you're starting to get thinner up front there, up front there, but, but uh, he would not be spying him. And – uh, I'm gonna say I know we can't stop him. Uh, just contain him, right? Contain him. Yeah, and, and I I think it's about, and I, and I would need to deep dive on all the stats from that game because I think LSU still put up about 500 yards in that game, but it was 23 or so points. 2019, and I know it's different coordinators, different personnel. I get it, but but 2019 LSU Auburn is kind of the blue blueprint for what this is probably going to need to look like. Auburn is a good enough defense to win in certain situations, but they're not elite enough, and LSU is too good to be able to stop them all game or the majority of the time. So what's going to need to happen is that very old cliche mantra we use all the time of a bend, don't break, because LSU is going to make their yards. But do they capitalize in the red zone all the time? Because they have had a few struggles, particularly that Florida State game, of scoring in the red zone, it is it is it is possible to stop them or for them to stop themselves uh, inside the twenty yard line. So Auburn's going to be forced with they're probably going to have a, a red zone defense four or five times. Can you force half of those to be field goals? That, that's going to be very important. Uh, you know, I don't know these stats. So I just want to ask you: Do you know how good the stats are on third uh, third downs offensively? I don't know. I don't have the number in front of me, but I, I know that. I have seen just from watching LSU this year. I, I the number of just Jaden Daniels scrambles for first downs on third and, and and a decent yardage is very high. So even a third and eight, nine, ten situation, whereas Georgia would find Brock Bowers in that situation against Auburn, Jaden Daniels he might find Malik Neighbors or Brian Thomas, but he also might run for it if you're not pass lane discipline. I saw him do that. So, you know, we did a decent job of holding Georgia, of course, for the home, to, what, 27 points, right? Yes. What do you think uh, Auburn's defense will need to, to hold? How many points will we need to hold uh, them to for us to have a, a reasonable, realistic chance of beating them? About the same. Yeah. Because I, I think while Auburn's offense would be capable of scoring more than they did against Georgia in Death Valley – I just expect there to be a few mistakes and a few sure. missed a missed opportunities, uh, a penalty here, a sack here, just a negative outcome play. Whereas I think Auburn can move the ball. I think they finished around three hundred yards against Georgia. I think they can definitely increase that. But I just don't know on the road in a night game if they're going to be fundamentally sound at the rate that they're going to need to be to score thirty-five to forty points. See, I, and my 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 thought is this: thirty is that is that threshold. Like, you know, if LSU scores thirty, then Auburn's done. 
It's over. I, I just I don't see Auburn scoring thirty points. I I think twenty eight is like if Auburn score if Auburn scored twenty eight points, I think they're doing. You're, you're being generous. I'm saying twenty four. Uh, I you know I'm thinking you can go twenty four. I'm saying twenty eight. Uh, but I mean if you're if you allow thirty, then then you're done because I just they, this offense Auburn's offense just has not done anything even against weak defenses that has just really excited me made me make me think that. They can score thirty plus points at LSU at night. I I just don't see that happening. Yeah, even again, even as bad as their defense is, I just think our offense is just that bad and, and inept, especially in the passing game. That even against a bad defense, I don't think they can do enough consistently to score a whole bunch of points on LSU. Yeah, well, Tom, when I said twenty four, I meant our team twenty four is the most probably we can score, and I'm hoping we can hold them. Uh, didn't uh, when Bo Nix. Uh, but we went down. Wasn't it twenty-four to nineteen? Yeah, it was some. But I don't, don't even compare that. It's completely different teams. I mean, you actually. But I'm thinking you actually had a really good. You actually had a really good quarterback, and Peyton Thorne is not a really good quarterback. Yeah, well, I'm thinking we got to hold to to twenty-one points at the most to have a chance. Yeah, they, you need this one to be low scoring to have a chance because yeah, you don't want this offense to get into a shootout. Okay, that's all I got, guys. Uh, thank you very much for. Uh, let me uh, make uh, hopefully some sense today. I'm a little bit calmer, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna be like a cat uh, in a room with a rocking chairs all around me uh, uh, for this game. But thankfully, they won't have at least as, as much time to, to get as drunk and inebriated and uh, just uh, out of control as they. It would have been an eight o'clock game, right? I mean, it's well, still they, late they, enough. Yeah, they, it's still they, a night game. Uh, yeah. If you ever been to a game yeah. in Baton Rouge, they they get well, drunk and inebriated for an eleven a.m. game. Yeah, I know at least. You know, it's six o'clock and seven eight o'clock game. Yeah, I, I assure you, this is still late enough. Again, I I do not recant enough. my statement. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hi right, guys. Oh, what time is the game tomorrow night for the Braves? Was, was it four or five o'clock? Yeah, it's a four oh seven central. Four oh seven central. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, guys. Have a safe afternoon, evening, and uh, we'll uh, do this again tomorrow. Until then. Warrior, guys. Warrior, see. Appreciate that phone call. That is retired Ward MC joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. And uh, yes, as C was referring to the game in Baton Rouge was 24 19 in 2021 when Auburn ended the very long uh, losing streak down there, uh, expecting a different type of game. I don't know if. It's just hard to compare that. that game so different. The LSU was so bad that year. I mean, they were terrible, terrible that year on both sides of the ball. Auburn really wasn't that much better, but Auburn had a well, really and, good quarterback. Uh, well, yeah, and and that really and that good quarterback street balled for success. Sure. It wasn't even like anything. Right. I mean, th- th- that was the wild play where he runs right, runs left, voids two sacks, yeah. throws to Fromm in the end zone, yeah. and you know, I mean, some of that was was not even a coach or or anything game plan related. It was just some some making stuff happen. Uh, and and of course that was Orgeron's last year, but. I don't score wise. Look, I commit. My wisdom says, if I have any at all, is that if Auburn score twenty on Georgia, the points are out there against LSU. The problem is you're on the road. If, if Auburn was at home, I give an Auburn, I give Auburn a chance to figure out how to score thirty plus. I really would, and I I think they can get well into the twenties. That's why I'm saying that twenty seven number that Georgia scored injured and here two weeks ago, that's about the cutoff for, for LSU uh, to where, again, I, I think that Auburn could broach 30, but, 
again, the, the problem is when LSU inevitably just does not cover somebody, does Peyton Thorne see that? Right when 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 because L- LSU is going to not cover somebody at some point. That, that's right. the, been them all year. They're going to someone's going to fall down. Gonna someone's going to get confused. Sure. Did you protect Peyton well enough in that sequence? And did Peyton find that person in that sequence? Yeah. Did uh, Peyton not bail out when he's actually getting right. protection? What when, when Auburn has four straight runs that combine for like thirty or forty yards to move them to the LSU twenty-five? How does that drive in? Does it end in a 47-yard field goal attempt because you got a penalty and yeah. you stopped or because you had a tackle for a loss on, on second and eight that made it third and 11 and you had to throw when you didn't want to? Or do you actually find the end zone? Like, again, my, my question, Auburn will move the ball. If Auburn does not move the ball, I'll come on this show next week and I'll be incredibly disappointed. Right. Now, I don't know what that point total looked like. That's why I'm having trouble knowing what exactly the, the – the point of no return would be, but I'll be very disappointed if Auburn doesn't have around 400 yards offense. I'll, I'll sure. just be honest with you. I don't. I, don't, I know they can't throw for 100 yards on Power Five team. <laughs> I know that they fumbled millions of times at Cal. I, I get it. But you're off a bye week and you improve for the first time all year. You improved from A and M to Georgia. You saw improvement. Right. It was not awesome, but you ran for over 200 yards on Georgia. You looked a lot better than Kentucky did yeah. uh, against Georgia. I get different venues, but I would be very disappointed if you don't see the next step, which is okay. That actually that started to look like an offense that does have limitations, but it's starting to transition into like something that is watchable, something right. that is respectable. Again, not saying it's going to be 40 points, but that's why I struggle with like. Okay, Auburn scored twenty and what uh, ten and what was it fourteen against Cal? So you would think that they're not going to go score forty, and I agree with that. But LSU's defense is in a situation where it is showing no signs of life, and you at least showed a sign of life with your ground game against Georgia. So you had a week to work on it. How do you make that even a little bit better version of itself? That's what I'm looking for in year one of a new coach and year one of, of development. And right. like these kids are not going to turn into world beaters. I get that, but there still is a somewhat higher level you can extract out of them to maybe not win this game, but at least look competent offensively yeah. against a bad defense. Well, that's that's one thing that I've said uh, that you got to look for with this team in particular, where you're trying to rebuild this roster. And I mean, it's. It's full of transfers. Again, that's one of the big things they've talked about the LSU defense. It's full of transfers, but they're all from like La Monroe and places like that. Well, you kind of say the same for Auburn's offense. There's a lot of a lot of guys that are on this offense that are brand new uh, from schools that are not FIU, that, Jackson State, right. Tulsa, except for now Dylan Wade's really good. Yeah. But, but still, you know, Cincinnati, yeah. right? But, you know. You're not bringing in guys that were five-star studs from Alabama and Ohio State and places like that. Michigan State with Peyton Thorne, I'll give you a little bit of that because sure. that is a, at least a, a Big Ten school. Not the powerful Big Ten school, but still you know yeah. high-level football. But that's what you've got on offense. Uh, the transfers you're getting are not coming from – they're not the big former five-star guys coming in here. So um, you have to understand that the improvement – it's those baby steps, and it's that improvement. Like you just said, they're not going to suddenly turn into world beaters. You, you can't expect that. That is a pipe dream, pie in the sky type thing. However, if you can show the improvement, like we saw against Georgia, keep, keep taking steps forward. The worst thing that you could do is 
have that improvement that we saw at Georgia, and then you get a bye week to get things together, and then you get to LSU, and then all of a sudden you take a couple of leaps backwards. It's like that's not what you want. That's not what you need. That's definitely not what you need moving forward. Make the progress. Make even more progress against LSU. Maybe it ends up in a win. I, I that I think it would be a monumental win for Hugh Freeze in this offense to pull that off and at night in Baton Rouge, even even though it is against a bad LSU defense. I get that, but if you can just keep making progress forward and at least give the fan base and the alumni and and the players themselves give them that that vision and that hope that things are progressing forward instead of like I said you've made some forward progress against Georgia and then you don't want to take that leap back cuz that's just now you're now you're right back to square one before Georgia and now you're trying to we're trying to figure out who the hell the quarterback's going to be we're trying to figure out who the hell the offensive line's going to be do we have a wide receiver that can do anything this is a game that you can kind of put your foot in the ground and say, here's the identity and here's what we're going to be moving forward. And these are the key cogs of what we're going to be doing moving forward instead of taking the step backs to where you're just like, well, you throw your hands up. and You're like, I have no idea what we're doing anymore. We're going to take our first time out here in the four o'clock hour. When we come back, we will talk a little bit more about this game. Also talk. Uh, some other football items and a little bit more baseball. Again, coming up also at the 5 o'clock hour at the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. easy it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn we're done paying the bills now back to sports call on tiger 95.9 welcome back to sports call on tiger 95.9 ryan lavoy Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday. On the other side of that break, we were talking some Auburn LSU. Also had a phone call from retired Wardam Steve. If you ever miss anything, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast, which is presented by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. And join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk. Coca-Cola tastes the feeling and, of course, that podcast is available on SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and our Tiger Communications app. So a lot of ways to listen to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. All right, continuing on a little bit more Auburn LSU for you. I was thinking about this, Tom, because normally I don't get too enamored with one particular stat meaning a lot in the grand scheme of things. And and when I think about going into games, I don't necessarily think of it in terms of a particular number to hit, although we were just talking about points on the other side of that break. But I think for the love of God, Peyton Thorne's got to throw for 100 yards. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> for the love of God. I, and I break that streak. Yeah. Uh, it, because here's the thing. We can talk about how – 
player X should have caught that ball and player Y should have caught that ball and that was catchable and this was catchable. But if you're not going to prove to me at some point that you will actually make real yards and real plays in the passing game, that's not the quarterback for you. Like at some point, if this guy is labeled as a passer, and I'm not putting 100% of the blame on him, although he deserves his 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 blame pie part of it. If you can't actually produce at some real way, at some real moment in the passing game, the argument to keep the quote passing quarterback continues to get weaker and weaker. Absolutely. Um, no, for me, he is he has so far been a a massive disappointment. Uh, in my head, because, uh, you know, I said I, I had a lot of high hopes for him coming I in. I too. I said that he was the difference between seven wins and eight wins. And, and if you remember, I even said, I think he's the difference between going five wins and six wins. He's the guy that can definitely get you to seven. He's probably the guy that can get you to eight. And he might be the guy that might even be able to get you to nine if things work out great. Nah. Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen that out of him at all. And like you said, not all his fault. When when you have uh, the numbers of incompletions they had against Georgia, and then you go back and you look at how many of those actually hit the hands of wide receivers. Granted, Georgia made a lot of those plays, but you have had you've had times where wide receivers or running backs are dropping passes. Um, you've had plenty of times where the receivers just can't get open. They 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 have. No, uh, you know the the ability to fight off of a defender in man to man coverage and get themselves open. They can't do that. You've had obviously times where the offensive line breaks down and Peyton Thorne just doesn't have time to do what he's got to do. So it's not all on him. However, when you go back and you think about the UMass game where Hugh Freeze talked about, there were plenty of plays that were supposed to go to the right side of the field and Peyton went to the left side of the field. And it's like that's not what are you doing? That's not what you're supposed to do. Plenty of times where he's looking left and he just stays looking left over here. And in the meantime, there's a guy over here on the right side of the field running wide open that he just never even looks at. Those are the things that are on him. 100% on him. It is also 100% on him when he has a guy running downfield wide open for a touchdown and you overthrow him by 15 yards. That's on Peyton Thorne. That has to be fixed. That has to be improved on Peyton Thorne's side. Those parts of the game are nobody's fault but his. So that has to improve because if you can imp- at least improve that and make the plays that are open, then maybe some other plays will also come open for you. But you've got to hit the ones that are there. And against that LSU secondary, there should be some plays there to be had. This is a bad, bad, bad secondary that it, we, has been talked about nationally now that this is not the DBU defense that we're used to seeing at LSU. These are transfers from La Monroe and transfers from other small schools that where they have just missed in the transfer portal. So it is ripe for the taking, but you've got to be able to make the plays when they're there. And that's where that is going to come into Peyton Thorne's lap, and he's got to be able to do that and produce. I, I think it's – I don't know necessarily think it's weird because we've seen quarterbacks do this in the past, um, not just at Auburn but around the country – that you know in the in the off season you know spring ball well not spring ball but in the in fall ball uh in leading into the season uh you know he freeze to be asked about Peyton Thorne and he was he, he talked about how they he was basically you know banging the door down on on his office and on Philip Montgomery's office to watch film with them yeah. and to break things down so many positives so, so it's it's 
it's a it's weird when you get into that game situation like you were talking about Tom you're missing guys you're you know oh you know overthrowing guys is an accuracy issue it's not a it's not a I watch film and I'm you know no don't know where we're going with this this ball it's you knew where you're going you get just accurate you got to be a little more accurate with the passing there but when when you're talking about you know missing wide open guys that you don't see you know you're you're you know I, I don't know what what you do to fix it i don't, I don't know if you because it's on the film you see what you know what's going on in the film um i i think it could be to the point where um you know it, we've seen it with and we've seen it with pro quarterbacks uh a lot is they he just doesn't have any wide receivers that he fully trusts i mean you, you talk about that game like we, we've we've brought it up justin ferguson brought it up this whole he was in that georgia game he was feasible he threw what uh, uh, the nineteen passes, nineteen passes, ten completions, six. Yeah. It was it, uh, ten of nineteen. Yeah. Six of them were catchable. Six of them went to the receiver's hands. So the, if mm-hmm. if all of them catch it, he's only has three incompletions the whole, entire game be, that right. are his fault. That are that are one hundred percent his fault. And so it's there. You see, it's there. And I, it's I, I think that it may get have gotten to the point here where he he doesn't have a he doesn't have a true number one wide receiver doesn't have a wide receiver that he can trust. You saw him at Michigan State, and and I know last year wasn't uh, last year not necessarily, but the year before that you saw him really well at, uh, at Michigan State. They had a big running game there too, um, but he had a, a number one wide receiver. You see what he's do the his guys doing at Florida Keon State. Coleman, yeah. He he's lighting things up down there. He he you if you get him a number one wide receiver, and he gets somebody in that he can trust, or he continues to work with this group and finds some trustworthiness uh, in this group. I think Jay Fair and uh, uh, Rivaldo Fairweather have kind of started to build that a little bit. But those are two guys that you're not necessarily looking at as number one wide receivers. And so it, it's great that you're you know you're they're getting involved a little bit more. But I, I think if he can get some more trust in those wide receivers in game situations, he may have 100% trust in them at practice situations, but it's practice. You're not going, you know, you don't go full speed at practice. You don't have SEC DBs uh, on the level of some of these schools bearing down on you every, every single rep at practice like you do every single rep in a game. If you can get some guys, if you can build more trust in this wide receiver core, or you can, you know, going into next year, you can get him a number one wide receiver. I think that you could, you know, I think Peyton Thorne could take a couple steps forward there. But but see, that's the thing is, like, I'm still not even at the point with Peyton Thorne that I promise you he will go into Baton Rouge and play well, though, and that it will be other people's fault. Because it's not – because, again, a part of the blame pie, like, he still is responsible for a good piece of it. I mean, he wasn't good against Cal. I mean, just point blank, no, he wasn't no. good. And against A&M, he was not very good. And now, granted – Asher came in, didn't do anything in the passing game. They still were having a passing, you know, trying to pass, and they weren't going as heavy run as they did against Georgia. But, I mean, you can't tell me that if that Peyton Thorne walks out there that that's a starting SEC quarterback. Now, again, the Georgia game was the first instance where he did look better, and then that's when the other problems rear their head, such as not having receivers, like you said, that are true number ones or or, or high-impact guys if they're having to be the high-impact guy. And, and then, you know, offensive line, like I think that it's done a reasonable job. Again, especially in the run block game, I think they've done a really good job there. Pass block game, I think they've given them a chance. I do think they have moments where uh, it caves in pretty quickly. It's, it's certainly not a perfect line there. But it, it has been good enough 
to make it to where that's not the fo- the the focus of the ire, and th- and that's not the the biggest thing going on. And so, look, even if Thorne is playing better, like he did against Georgia, if the receivers are not going to make the plays, or they're not going to get open, or the offensive line does have a weaker moment protection, my point back to the original part of the segment is at the, at some point you've got to say that. It's just not working out in this manner, and you're going to have to go in a different direction because mm-hmm. all of your expectations and all of your hopes, none of them are being realized. None of them are being met. And like like you said, you could you could have different people, different corners assess different percentages of blame to Thorne and to whoever else. But like the point remains, like if he starts throwing catchable balls and they're still not completing them, and they're still not uh, throwing for a hundred yards in a game. Like it's the production's not there to be had. Like the potential, the potential has gone way down. It's just not going to be realized. And so this is the moment for me where I'm going to draw the line. Like if they do not pass well or do not have a couple of key passes against LSU, it will be time for me to say it's not Peyton Thorne's time anymore because this is the opportunity to do it. I get it's on the road. Awesome. Tough. Get it. Whatever. LSU has not stopped anyone no matter where they are. They're barely stopped Grambling State. And so they didn't stop – because think of it. They didn't stop Arkansas at home. Arkansas, who's looked pretty anemic compared to what they were, and with a quarterback that I still deem to be pretty good, has looked pretty bad offensively. But they walked in the death valley and they scored 30. So, like, if you you can't give me something along those lines, then you're not going to give me enough to to maintain the job all year. And – you might be forced into the, I'm going to run 50 times and we're just going to find 18 different ways to run it. But at some point, if you can't throw four yards on this team with how bad they've played defensively and how bad that secondary has been, I, I don't see any sort of pathway to any passing success this year with Peyton Thorne there. We are out of time for this segment of the show. When we come back, one final segment in this 4 o'clock hour. Again, coming up at 5 o'clock, the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. And if you want to give us a call on the Orthopedic Clinic clinic phone line today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Sports Call returns after this timeout. is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. This is Tim Sin, voice of the Beauregard Hornets, inviting you to join me and the rest of the broadcast crew for another exciting season of Hornet football on Tiger 95.9. The Hornets are once again led by head coach Justin Jones and are hungry for another trip to the playoffs. Coverage of the Hornets begins 30 minutes before kickoff every game day. So don't miss a single second of Beauregard football action on Tiger 95.9. Brought to you by Beauregard. Guard Drugs, Auburn Bank, Jeffco Trent Funeral Home, Coca-Cola, and Glenn Smith Chevrolet GMC in Opelika. Get ready to smile. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. 
Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Are you guys ready for some rain in the forecast tomorrow? I thought you were going to say football, and I was going to say yes. Well, there is well, college we, football night. Well, but we need it. But, wow, excuse me. Mountain Dew is uh, doing the do. That was Coming doing the back do. to fight you. Uh, we got that little bit of rain, but um, we need a really, really good soaking around here yeah. because uh, this is the firefighters out of me. Uh, we have been having a lot, a lot, lot of brush fires lately. Okay. Uh, in this area, we've been under a burn ban uh, now for almost a month. Um, so, I mean, it's been that dry that the state has issued a burn ban where they don't want you burning anything. And we have had some brush fires. We had one, of a lawnmower. Uh, this is in the middle of Serps Op. Uh, our guys had to leave. A guy was cutting grass, and his lawnmower set the grass on fire. I mean, that's My how goodness. That's how dry it is. His his lawnmower set the grass on fire. Had to fight that one. There's a big brush fire uh, out towards uh, uh, out towards 280 yesterday uh, that our guys went and helped out with. So uh, we need a really really good soaking of rain just to kind of tamp down on some of the dryness that's been around it. Because, I mean, we haven't had a really good solid rain in a – No. It's been months. It's been a couple months educate, since we had just full-on, like, soaker. Educate me on what like what kind of quantity would be incredibly beneficial. Anything? Like like a quarter I, of an inch would help or an inch, I, two inches? I mean, as dry as it is, you you need to get about an inch. You know, uh, you, know you need a full-on soaker. Okay. Uh, I mean, an inch of rain – as dry as it has been, you might even want a little more than that. Now you also you gotta you gotta be careful that you don't get too much because you don't want the flooding. And then of course yeah. with well the flooding in general, but also as dry as things are, you don't want it to end up getting like the mud and like bad stuff that happens. There, there's kind of a there's kind of that little Goldilocks area. It's like you don't want the too much rain after it's been so dry because you can have some major major issues with that. You, you need it to be gradual. You don't want it all at one time. So, you know, get an inch, maybe an inch and a half, have a little bit of a period, maybe another system come in with about an inch and an inch and a half. So you, you want it to kind of gradually get yourself back into that. So you don't, you don't want it to be dry for that long and then just get doused with several feet of rain because you'll end up with major issues. So good inch, inch and a half type rainstorm, uh, that would be ideal right now. And I, I do think we've got a pretty good chance of getting about an inch tomorrow. So yeah. that, that would and check now, the box. Isn't there a system in the Gulf that's moving up our way that's supposed to bring some yeah. rain to us? That's the genesis of part of it. Uh, okay. Is, is not fortunately, because uh, uh, I can't go over over the other way, fortunately that system is not having time to generate it, anything sort of tropical. It's storm, called an, but, it's an invest. It's yes, not a tropical yeah. storm. Right. It's actually just a system over the Gulf that – has that potential to do something, but it's probably not. And so it's just called an invest with number whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, 90 something. It's, yeah, it's not anything that has a name to it. Yeah. So, you know, should get some rain tomorrow. And also, and the then it's going to get cold. Yeah, I was about to say, also, the moral of the story is I see one more potential day in the two weeks where we could maybe touch 80. Right. Other than that, not seeing it. Seeing a bunch of 70s, bunch of 60s. Uh, I'm going to have to start wearing the jacket around. I was going to say, what you're saying is I'm time ready. to put the shorts up. Yeah, it's time to uh, to thank the shorts for their service uh, for the last five or six months and uh, bring on the long pants, jeans and khakis and sweatpants. Sweat, <laughs> sweat, sweatpants if you have no shame. Bring out the fleece. Yeah, 
Uh, gonna wear that uh, sports cough fleece that mm, uh, that we yeah. have. That's that's the go-to jacket there because it's got the hood, so if, if it, it can function against rain, it's not overly warm, but it is still a jacket. And uh, yeah, we we need to get some more of those too. I think that would uh, be beneficial. Final minute or two left of the hour here of weather call, uh, and uh, we're having a good time on this Tuesday. Uh, man, also the thing with the weather changing in the fall is that I know these sports are of lesser appeal to others, but today is opening night in the National Hockey League. Opening afternoon for some folks. Yeah, but hey, local time in Tampa right now for the Lightning and and Preds. So five, five, almost six o'clock there. So that's that's becoming night. And then uh, got got a triple header of hockey tonight. I'm sure one or two of those will make uh, the nightly TV guide. And then this time in two weeks, the National Basketball Association returns. And uh, we'll, we'll make sure we have the Auburn updates of all the guys that make rosters and continue to be on rosters and that sort of thing. And you know how much I love the NBA. And guess what? About two weeks after the NBA, college basketball returns. So we have returned to our primes. You got college football on. We're in the middle of that 49 straight day period. So there's college football tonight and tomorrow and Friday and Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> that makes Brooks happy. A little, little Sunbelt. Some Sunbelt Funbelt action. Uh, Maction too. Those oh, are Wednesdays, right? Yeah. The Conference USA is getting involved this Conference year Conference USA has got a game tonight. Yeah. Sunbelt's got a game tonight. We'll talk about that later. Sure. But man. Fun time. Gosh, it's the best. Absolutely. Absolutely love it. We are out of time here. For the second hour of the program, when we return in hour number three, a Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday edition of the program. And as we open up the third and final hour of the program today, we want to get to the Sports Call 5 at 5, which is presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment. 
But it's also an investment in time with your family and friends, and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that, too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at sclandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call 5 at 5, it's a little bit of a throwback uh, as we've not been doing the birthday segment here in the fall. We will pick that back up post-football season but uh, today we have some pretty a pretty great birthday list to get to. So we're just going to give you a quick thought or two on these five birthdays today. Number one. It starts with Brett Favre, uh, who obviously a legendary quarterback uh, for for the Jets, right? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, for for <laughs> uh, the Vikings. Right. Oh uh, yeah. Yes, of course. Uh, for Green Bay. Uh, so Brett Favre's birthday uh, is today. Number Former Atlanta two. Falcon. Former Atlanta Falcon, yeah. The, on, the, on the front end of that, I should have uh, I should have gone that way, route too. Number two, Dale Hart Jr. today. Of course, one of the more famous NASCAR drivers. Uh, hated he wasn't in the booth on Sunday uh, for the Bank of America Roval 400 at Charlotte. Uh, he got uh, sick the night before. I loved hearing him as a commentator post his racing career. And, of course, was NASCAR's most popular driver, driver while uh, he was racing. Number three. couple baseball birthdays. Troy Tulowinski. Uh, today is um, another guy that was having a really good baseball career. One of those Rockies that probably got a little too discredited for just playing at Coors Field and kind of taking advantage of the ballpark conditions there in Colorado, but still had some very impactful moments uh, post-Colorado, mainly with Toronto. Number four, Andrew McCutcheon, who for a long time, uh, the face of the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, went to some playoffs there. Uh, really good player that returned to Pittsburgh this year, what could be his final year. Had some other stops along the way, but uh, McCutcheon has been, uh, a, a, again, a, a legendary Pirate there, very beloved there. And last but not least, in the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Number 5. Kind of the reason we did this one today, it is Sammy Coates' hey. birthday. Of course, uh, Sammy, we, we know quite well. He has been a thunder chicken in the past. He's been on this show, of course, uh, uh, very notably uh, had a successful tenure at Auburn. And he turns 30 today, so entering a new uh, decade in life. And I, I know we still see him out and about and around every now and then. And, and so wish Sammy Coates a happy birthday today, turning 30. So those technically are the birthdays in sports today, but that is the Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeast Land Group. All right, guys, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more uh, baseball because uh, we, we let off the show with it, then got to Justin Ferguson a little bit. And this could be about the Braves and the, the postseason and the entirety. Uh, so let's go over the the state of the, the, the bracket right now. Unfortunately, it does not bring me joy to report that Houston's all over Minnesota in game three, five, nothing as they bat in the sixth inning. That would put the Astros up two to one. And that one later tonight, Orioles Rangers game three, the 101 win Orioles, our 0-2 start the postseason. They are in Texas trying to stave off elimination. 
And, of course, last night's action, we know all about what the Braves did coming from behind down 4-0 to win 5-4. But also, notably, the Diamondbacks. They were successful in their bid to get up two games to nothing on the road as they defeated the Dodgers. And once again, Dodgers had some opportunities in that one. But now the Dodgers are in trouble of being eliminated. And so, again, the question still remains. I know the Braves snapped out of it just in time last night, but certainly being no hit on the heels of game game one. Uh, these these higher-seeded teams, they except for basically the Astros, they continue to struggle year in, year out. Brooks, you were not really uh, – well, you were not a part of that conversation on the show yesterday as you were not on the show. Uh, but but what do you think of, of the format? What do you think of this postseason? And is the third year of this happening to – early for you to know if there should be a change or are you starting to be pretty convinced by the evidence here that this week off is is actually a competitive disadvantage for these teams um listen as, as a as, as a fan of baseball that will sit down and watch any sort of baseball from from high school all the way up to the pros no matter who's playing um, you can catch me, you know, random Tuesday nights watching uh, such games as the, the Reds and the Athletics on uh, MLB.tv. And so I, I will – I'm a proponent of more baseball, no matter what it is. Uh, I love I love the sport. Um, I'll, I'll sit down and watch it no matter who's playing, what what's happening. Um, I, I think that the – you know, I, I think the wild card – I like the 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 format that is um, where you get to uh, you, you get a little bit of a series because you know it's I think Justin Ferguson and, and uh, I think you guys talked about it yesterday. It's the sport is more of a series sport where there's just not one off games. You know, it's it's you're you've got a series to work through every every week every weekend and so i like that aspect where you're you're continuing that in the wild card i do think though it is a a disadvantage for the team that gets that sits out um i I think that the the team that gets the bye gets a little bit of rest you know we we've talked about it. it baseball players are creatures of habit and you get them out of that habit, and it kind of you know messes you know it messes with them a little bit. Um, Justin Ferguson brought it up a little bit earlier when we were talking to him. You know, you you look at the Braves right out the All Star break. You had that little layoff, and they didn't look good right out of the right out the gates there. And you were like, uh oh, what what what's happening? Yeah. They ended up you know gaining you know getting back in the form and uh, you know, being you know the best team in baseball down the stretch. But that it, it's that. The, that little bit of a break, that little bit of a, a a layoff. That's why you know you go into the when you look at spring training. There's not like you know the NFL when you go to preseason. You've got three weeks of preseason, and then you basically have a week off before you get to that week one because you took away a preseason game. So you have basically a week off. Everybody seems fine with it. Baseball going to spring training. You're you know you start things off. You know you're working and working, and you get closer and closer to your opening day lineup as you go through that month of games. But then you're like, you know, you play a game, let's say your opening day is Thursday, because that's what it's been in these last few, or Wednesday or Thursday, because they some take a day off or whatever. It's kind of stupid that they, they play a game. This is this is another change, but they play a day, take a day off, and then everybody's back playing on Saturday. I, I think that's just, just stupid, but that's a different story. Um, but, you know, you, you're playing 
you know, some some spring training games Tuesday, have a day off Wednesday, you play Thursday. That that's you know, you're playing spring training day games all the way up almost until and there's some teams that play a, like an exhibition game the day before their opening game. So you you're already into that habit of playing almost every single day. You don't have any layoff between your your warm up, your spring training and the regular season starting. And so I, I think that when you when you get those teams in that situation uh, when you have you know the All Star break come out of the All Star break, some of these good teams, it's like uh oh, what what's going on here? You, they figure things out as you keep going because you get back into that rhythm. I think this is the same way. I think that you know you have to cut those couple days off, gets you knocks you out of your rhythm there, and you you can't really recover. Uh, maybe you know it. Sometimes it's you know you need a few games to get back into the rhythm of it. Um, obviously in the postseason, you're not afforded that. And so you need moments to get back into it. Hopefully the Braves, uh, that moment came last night in the 6th, 7th, and 8th inning. Hopefully that's the moment that the Braves needed to get back in track and say, hey guys, we're, you know, we're, we're back in this. We got we to gotta keep going. And hopefully it wasn't, it's not the, the repeat of last year where you lost game one, won game two, and then ended up getting beat the next two up in Philly. Um, hopefully it's, it's the, you know, the Braves can take the, what, what happened last night and get into it. But I, I, I agree. I think it is a, because of the way that the game is played throughout the year, it is a little bit of a disadvantage to take a team out of their element and sit them for a few days. I don't know how you fix it though, unless you add another team and everybody's got to play every single day or from the start of it. But I, I just don't know. Well, it was around this point in the program yesterday where, and it might've been a little closer to the. Um, end of the show, but it was in this hour that I said really the ugly truth is the best format for baseball was four teams a league, and it yeah. was a division winner, all three division winners plus one wild card team. That way, you did not have um, you didn't have any sort of extra off time for anybody. And honestly, the way I would do it then, if I were to try to actually make it completely to my liking is because we've already made time for these couple of extra games because of the wild card round, what I would do is make them all seven-game series because I don't know why other than, you know, one of the things baseball sites is they really want to be done by the, the end of October. Like they, re- right. they don't want to drag it in November because if you're in New York or some Boston, some cold-weather place, it starts to get rough yeah. at, at night there, sure. Uh, and we all understand that, but you know the the, the suddenness of the it, it just my, my point is it goes against everything that this sport is. This sport is not in in any way a sprint. It is a it is a not it is really more of a brisk walk. It's not even a jog. It is a it is a jaunt throughout these summer months. A race walk. The, yeah, the the dog days of summer. This is a long sport, and then all of a sudden. Is it, it is condensed in an incredibly short sample size. And it just it does not set itself up for the similar results to the regular season. It, it sets itself up for a more chaotic sequence of events. Because to be quite frank about this sport and how this sport differs from football and basketball, if you put all 30 teams in the playoffs, if you were just psychotic and you did that, Oakland could advance a round or two. It wouldn't be likely, but they could. Right. Because Oakland took a series from the Braves. They took two out of three. If it's a wild card format, it's two out of three. 
and that two out of three happens, Oakland advances. The worst beats the best. You know, and that sort of thing is it, it can be fleshed out to some degree. But in all the sports, you say, well, that could happen in these other sports. But we all know that because of the randomness of baseball, that it lends itself to that being so much more likely and, and, and being so much more of a crapshoot, especially with the small parameters of time frames. I mean, the National Basketball Association, the National Hockey League, they play half the regular season games, yet all their series, every single one, except for the play-in now for basketball, is four out of seven. They have a longer entry series in their playoffs when they play half the regular season games that Major League Baseball does. It really doesn't make sense if you think about it. And I'm starting to get on this horse, and and, and you know what? I wouldn't be still riding this horse even if the Braves win the series. And, uh, and all the things that I would like to have happen, happen. I, I still... I still think that baseball is getting this the most wrong of all the formats. Now, I don't love that the NBA puts 20 teams in, technically, but when you factor in the play-in. But that, that, that's too much for that, that sport. I think the NFL is pretty close to being right. The other thing I'd run by you is, and again, th- please, and I went through this yesterday, th- this is not some, oh, this guy likes the Braves, so he's trying to bail out the Braves. I, I think I think the data from the last three years are presented. This is not just a Braves issue. The Braves, the Braves benefited from this in 2021 when they beat the two-seed two Brewers right. and got going and ended up winning the title. So I'm not, I'm not, this is not just because of the Braves. But the other big league that does a buy is the NFL. And if you were to know about their playoff format, it is, in a sense, a reseed. It's not a straight bracket. One is off, then 2-7 play, 3-6, and 4-5. One doesn't play the 4-5 winner. One plays the lowest seed remaining. So if the 6 beats the 3 or the 7 beats the 2, that's who the 1 plays. That's how you can get goofy teams that are not the 1 or 2 seed end up hosting an NFC Championship game because the higher seed lost. Should that be done for Major League Baseball? Should it be a... The, the one seed plays the lowest seed out of the wild card, period. And the two seed plays the highest remaining, period. Is right. that is that not some sort of middle ground solution here? I mean, that that sounds like middle ground to me. That way you're not taking a full week off of baseball before you have to play again. Well, no, I mean, I mean that's still the same. I'm still saying the same format. I mean, I don't like it, but I'm, I'm just saying that. Well, it seems like that would set it up where you don't have to necessarily play wait a full week does it not no i mean because you still have the the wild card round the oh, round oh. still exists i i'm, uh, I'm yeah, saying I what you're saying i'm saying that it instead of okay because the the one okay w- with the six teams getting in the one seed and two seed are idle so the three plays the six and the four plays the five the one is bracketed to play the four five period Right. Okay. It doesn't matter if the six ends up beating the three. The one plays the four five because their stance is that that four, if the four, if the higher seeds win, the four would become the worst seed remaining, right? And it'd be one, four, two, three. That's why they bracket it that way. But I'm simply saying that should it not just be whatever the worst seed remaining is, and that's right. who the one plays, and that's and then the best seed remaining is who the two plays. It's not a very big process because there's only like two or three different outcomes, but that's how the NFL does it. Is It's not bracketed where the one's going to play the winner 
of the of the four or five matchup. The one's going to play whichever the worst seed remaining is, whether that's five, six, or seven, or four, five, six, or seven, wh- whatever it is. They'll play the worst version. They'll play the worst seeded team. So because I'm not stupid, I know they're not going to take teams back out of the playoffs. We'll never go back. They're right. not. They're not going to go back to four teams a week. Sure. Because it, it, it enhances fan interest. There's more teams involved. There's less tanking. There's less teams phoning in. I get it from a business standpoint, but also for the sake of the re- for the sake of making the regular season better, you can't make the postseason inequitable. And that's what we're studying here in year number three: is have we somehow made a disadvantage to be better than right. the teams that were <clears throat> below you? Right. That still made the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, you know, I that you know that's a way to fix that. Like, yeah, I mean, I I agree with what you're saying. I still want it to. I want to figure out a way though that you can have the team. So if you if you are the best team in the league, that you're not having to sit for a week. Yeah, that that's still what I like, prefer too. Yeah, I like just, whatever you have to do, if you have to add another team, and and it's like so, you have your one, two, three, four. And then what would you have? A five, and then that one is going to play the five, starting the playoffs, and then the others do what they do. But if you're if you're the top seed, say if you're the Braves, then whoever that extra team is, that's who you're playing, and you're starting out immediately playing them. You're not having to wait a week right. to figure out what's going to happen with this series, and then you play the winner of that. You need to. I, I think it becomes more fair and more, uh, you know, balanced for just the game of baseball for the way it is that you once the postseason starts you're playing you're you're in there playing you're not sitting an entire week before you get a chance to actually get back on the field i think that's completely ridiculous um i i get the you know the bye weeks work in the favor of some of these other sports but bye weeks don't work for or a bye week yes you know do, yeah. does not work for baseball because of just the way that game is played you need to be able to play immediately um and so whatever you have to do to make that happen, whether it be adding two more teams to the mix, I know you're now expanding the playoffs, and I, a lot of people are like, well, now you're starting to get teams into the playoffs that have no business being there. Well, okay, great. Well, that's fine. Then they're going to play the, the Atlanta Braves, and they're probably going to get their teeth kicked in. Congratulations. And, you know, here's your, here's your prize for showing up. But otherwise, you're going to have to have a situations where it's not beneficial to win the division. And I don't think that's right. I I just I don't see a scenario, and, and unfortunately it has made that way, and all of the numbers show it, that it does not benefit you at all to win the division. Yeah. Yeah, and again, that that's why I'm, I'm kind of hyper-focused on it right now because obviously it is going through the postseason. But the only way to get everyone, to get those one seeds playing immediately are to either – you've got to have the – Either the four, or you got to go up to eight. And I'm sorry, because I, I, there's some sports I, I want more of. I, I, right. I, I pine for a bigger college football playoff. I, I continue to believe that's right. I love that the basketball tournament is 68 teams. I think that's a great number. But and, and again, I'm okay with to a degree the NBA, but not 20. I think the the 16 was fine. In baseball, if you play 162 of something, over the half of the league should not still have the opportunity to win the title. Right. If you end up going to eight, 
just because you're trying to get everyone to play immediately. Sure. That's that's not the way we should go either. I right. like like again, I hate to break it to Major League Baseball. They've already passed the point they shouldn't have gone over. Right. And, and they're already getting the thing because of their unique the unique situation that you play so many of something that the only way to justify more teams in playoffs is to play less regular season games. And right. guess what? That's not going to happen either because right. of revenue. Like you've are baseball has already bloated itself too far, and it, you know it shouldn't be a shock because it's the oldest sport. They've had time to bloat themselves. Now, now sports have taken off uh, in a complete you know exponential process the last 20, 30, 40 years. To be to be fair, but like these sports will eventually get to where they have problems because they're too big or too much of something. And I credit Major League Baseball for some of the changes they made to the game itself. The pitch clock rule this year was beautiful. It acted as well, if not better, than intended. It decreased game times by over 20 minutes. Attendance in, I think, 24 of the 30 big league ballparks went up. And, like, one or two of them were stagnant. I think the Braves were one of the stagnant ones because they were, like, plus 1% because, well, it's already been full for them. And then the three to four to five that dropped – were like teams that got significantly worse this year, like the Mets, for example. Right. You know, so like they won. That that was a great decision. But I think that the worst thing that could be happening for Major League Baseball is if these top teams continually lose in the very first round. It's fine if the one or two seed or the one seed loses in the uh, championship series. They they won a round to get there. They just didn't perform when they needed to. It's not about the one seed needs to win this thing. It's just about did you create a competitive disadvantage to actually be better? Did was it was it more beneficial to you to be worse? If that's the case, that has to be fixed. You know, we talked to one more thing and then we'll we'll get to another timeout. One more thing that's being studied right now is in the <clears> National <throat> Football League and call and in football in general, but mainly in the NFL, is the tush push. Is that a is that an illegal play? Is that an unfair advantage? Now, there if they let me be clear, if they ever change the rule, they're going to say it's because of health. They're they're not going to give the Eagles or anybody credit and say, oh, yeah, this is an illegal act. They're going to say, well, we studied this, and there's like a 3% more uh, probability of injuries. Like, like that's that's what they're going yeah. – No, I've already, and I've already heard that. That's yeah, oh, no, why I'm they're not. investigating that play. Mike Florio sure. stuff reported that. Like, that's the reason they're going, to, they're going to publicly say, but we all know the real reason is because you can't stop it. Right. Now, here's, here's what I will qualify with. If only the Eagles are awesome at it, like if this is a 95 or an above percent play for the Eagles and one or two other teams and not other teams, it shouldn't be outlawed because the Eagles just have the best personnel to do this and they perfected it with their personnel. Like if the Raiders or the Patriots or the Bucks or what name an average team here can only convert that 60% of the time, well, that's not an unfair disadvantage then. That's the Eagles have the correct personnel to do this. Sure. And so that's why it should continue to be legal if these other teams can't capitalize. Now, if the whole league, which is what it seems to be trending towards, but I want to see it all year in all these situations. I want to see all the teams. If all the teams in the league do that and it's 90, 95% for them, then that's an unfair disadvantage play. That's a competitive balance play. Right. And that's when the issue comes. Well, my, my issue with this is, I I can't think of a time, I'm sure it's probably happened in there, but 
I had I can't think of a time that the tush push has just caused these massive injuries to folks. Yeah, I, they settled. If, it, if, yeah. if any if anything, a play like that is going to be anti injury because you're not getting a full head of steam. This is not like the gunner in punt coverage that is hitting right. somebody full speed. This is not like the old flying V uh, of originating a football where people are actually dying. This is not a play that is hurting people. I mean, you're, you're literally not getting a running start of any sort. So you can't use injury factor of safety factor well, on that. I, right. I, nobody's getting hurt doing the play. And I'm not contesting that uh, that is going to be a legitimate reason. Well, sure. But, but they're they, talking about they it. They talked about it on the Sunday night broadcast the other night that apparently there was one injury in one <laughs> of the plays so far this year. And that that's what the league will look at. I, I vividly recall Mike Tirico saying that. And then the league will, will look at it, and it won't. It, they will again use the mask of safety to then really what is a competitive issue, right? And, and say, oh well, you know, we saw like that's why I was making fun of them. Oh, you know, five percent more likely to be injured on this particular play. Well, okay, congrats, but like that's a. It's it may or may not end up being true, and then b. You real? It's not the real reason you're doing this, right? And, uh, and I'm on a I'm I'm on a rampage. There's another rule that just came to mind. Should after this break, should I go on rampage rule number three with college football? <clears throat> Can I do that when do we come it. back? Let's let's go on more bad rules. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm on one. Targeting. Right now. Yeah. Well, oh, you know, right. I've always felt Ooh, a way about a, that. Yeah. I want to talk about what happens after the second overtime in oh, college football good when call. we come back. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Don't want to call into the show? Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports Call at the Tiger.fm. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday. Appreciate everyone for tuning in, however they that may be, on this Tuesday. So, uh, left you before the break. Feel like the complaining hour is what this is. <laughs> Started with some MLB playoffs. Progressed to the NFL. Though I'm not compl- I wasn't really complaining about that uh, particular rule, or not, not rule, just going over the optics of the the tush push and and what the league might ultimately do what they should ultimately do we'll see but then it led me to thinking about another rule and this one does arc me and i'm i'm just i don't buy it and it's not and it's in college football I, I have not let me let me start with this. I have not seen the most controversial thing coming into the season, which is I've not seen the data yet 
on what we're doing, plays per game, time per game, that sort of thing. I could tell you, based off the game on Saturday, they were not going by quicker. So I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be looking out for an average game time this year that's going to in fact only be maybe a minute or two shorter. I mean, inconsequential. It does not feel like it's making a difference there. Does it feel like there's less plays? Some games I feel that way, but they're ball control games. It's not every game. So I, I can't t- I can't tell on that. Still waiting for someone to do a, a deep dive. I that'd be a deep dive again. I'm, I can't really pull off. But the rule that I know I have ire towards is the overtime rule. And we're a couple couple years into this. I think it's the third year of this. I think it's the third, maybe the fourth year of it. And the, the rule, as you know it, is after the second overtime, two-point conversion plays. We saw it just this weekend. We saw Southern it this Cal. weekend. That's why I think it's why it's on my mind between right. USC and Arizona. Uh, we saw in the Iron Bowl back in, in 2021. Uh, That's right. And and went to four overtimes because of that, three or four overtimes because of that. Yeah, I think it's four. Anyway, I just don't because this is another rule that they have used with player safety, right? And I'm sure that is what they really believe is their reasoning, and they cite the you know extra plays and that sort of jargon. The thing is, is that they made this rule because of a once in a decade type of game. They made this rule because of that LSU-Texas A&M game that went, what, seven overtimes? Right. Something egregious. Great. You know, egregious game. I'm sure everybody was exhausted by the end of that one. It, but it was, it was a fun game. I'm sorry, but it seems like every single rule these people make makes the game less fun. And I – eliminating what will ultimately be what five to 10 plays aside just is not the change for the, for the value of the game that it has versus the actual safety benefits. What's the real data on play 80 to 85, right? Like, like, does it really increase that much? And, and an 84 to 89, does it really mean that much? If it does, I'll take a I'll take a lesson stance. But for now, I do not like that rule. I I think it was already good enough that you make you do two point plays after scoring, right? But still give someone the opportunity to stop somebody. I get that your point is by that point teams are so exhausted it's hard to stop people maybe the offense makes an exhaustive mistake again you're judging a game that you deem unacceptable that game is a once in a decade phenomenon it's an outlier you no reasonable people change rules or guidelines for the majority just because of a outlier that's not a really good practice and so I don't know how you guys feel, maybe not as strongly as I presented it here, uh, but but the, I think that rule is a shame, uh, and and it's a, it's a, it doesn't happen a lot. It, it it comes into play a couple of times a year across the sport. It's not like it's going to be a constant thing. But again, that's also all the more reason where I say, man, you didn't have to do that because these games are epic games, and I feel like we're just not going to have an epic overtime game up to the level of games of the past when you have to go to two-point plays. Yeah. Now, to me, the, the, that rule, when they changed it to where after, in the third you just run the two-point plays, 
to me, that screamed uh, not so much we've got to protect the players and all that. That's just like, all right, let's just hurry up and get this thing over with. I mean, that's what it felt like. It's like, all right, just let's just get it over with. As quick as we can, let's get it done and move on. We're tired of playing football. Let's let's get it done and move on. Well, well, then that cheapens the game because, again, I'm with you. If you can show me data that shows that you, that the players are now in more danger by playing the overtime periods like that, then okay, I get it. Then you got data to back it up. But when you don't have data to back that up, and you just do it because you're like, we just got to get this game over with. We can't be here all night because you know what? That one time back however many years ago it happened, and we were here for seven of these, and so it happened that one time back then. We can't do that anymore. That that's just crap. Um, so no, I don't like it. Now, like I said, if you show me some data that that it that there is danger there, okay. But as it is, it just it's a. And also, like don't said, it just cite, feels like they're just trying to just like I said, just kind of like let's just hurry up and get this over with. And, and also, don't cite cramps like that. That that's, oh, uh, we're yeah, not you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, you no, know, eight more, eight people cramped during that overtime. Right. Okay. I mean, same thing they're the going to be fine in 30 minutes well, or same, less. Well, same thing with the tush push. If, if, okay, well, he got his foot stepped on and his foot hurt because there was like a mass of humanity. Guy got his foot stepped on in that mass of people. He got injured. We can't do this. Like, well, geez, he got his foot stepped on. It's not like there's massive head injuries coming from yeah. that. Um, yeah, same thing with that. Oh, he's hurt. Well, no, he's cramped. I mean, yeah. It, it, I mean, are, are people's heads falling off? I mean, are people dying of cardiac arrest because you played a couple of more extra overtime periods? No. You know, there's. I don't think there's data to support that. I, I'm going to take the, the same step that I did with the baseball, with the baseball postseason. Baseball is not a one-game sport. It's always built in series. Football, sometimes it can be. But it's not a one-play sport. Like sometimes there's one play during the game that defines things, but it it overall it is a you you have a series. You have a you have a drive and everything. When you have a situation where you have like two dynamic offenses, or you've got a, a you know a defense that is just awful, and it's uh, two great defenses, whatever. It's you got to let those those elements decide the game. You can't just let one play decide it. Now, I'll say this. I'll say this. A couple years ago, I think it was maybe Penn State and Illinois or somebody in Illinois, and it was a two anemic offensive performances. When it got to it, they, they still went to several overtimes with that two-point per- performance, whatever it is at the end, um, the, the two-point uh, trading back and forth. That was hilarious because both offenses were just awful. They were awful. Big 10 football, it was like, you know, 10 to 10 or something, and they started going to two-point plays, and so it ended up being only like 24 to 22 or something like that. Something, and like, you're like, oh, that game went to like how many overtimes and it was this? That was hilarious. But the fact that you saw that seven-overtime game with uh, LSU and Texas A&M, overreacted and set this up to where it's, hey, we got to, you know, we're, like you said, Tom, it feels like it's just at the point where they're just like, we got to get this done. We can't, you know, we just got to, we just got to get this done. Ask the fans that were there. They were excited. They were living through the the, the whole thing. They were, uh, um, you know, they were living and dying with every single play of overtime. And so, 
I think that on, you know, if like this past Saturday, you had that that USC and Arizona game, both offenses were scoring. And then you're putting it, you know, all of a sudden it's like, hey, one play, defense, make a play. You're like, oh, but the, the game hasn't been about defense. The game has been about offense. The, the, like, both of these offenses have been, have been what's defined this game. No, defense. You're, the defense has to define the game now. Well, that's not what the trend of the game has been. No, it doesn't matter. One play, defense. <laughs> well, let me give you this, too. Like, okay, let's compare how other sports do it real quick, real briefly. Like, you have in these really low-scoring sports, that's when they bend the game. That's when you see a hockey shootout, which which actually you, you really uh, – you'd still see that in the regular season. You'll see that postseason. It's can't, it can't, they even acknowledge it's not the best way because they don't do it in the postseason. Soccer will do PKs. I was going to say, get to a two-point shootout in a national championship game, and you'll see the rule change yeah. real quick. Like, those sports, you're not guaranteed to score in any sort of – willing time but even in say hockey in the playoffs they make you play it till someone score it be for an extra hour at the professional level it's whenever i doesn't take matter a shower. it's not a health risk for them apparently right and and so and then i look at basketball which i equate to a little more along the lines of football and look again it's not like after two overtimes oh guy okay guys let's line up for free throws like how how mad would you be if that's how a basketball game that mattered was decided for you? Okay, everyone the, gets two free throws. The right. NFL, Come on. The NFL doesn't even want to do it. They're like, we'd rather end in a tie than have this the two point plays to try to yeah. win a game. My my thing is this: <laughs> if you're, it, it feels like I mean, if you're, it feels like if you're trying to like like I said, if you're trying to just like let's just hurry up and get this thing over with type deal. It seems like you're putting yourself in in a situation where you might extend this thing longer when you're just doing two point conversions. Because, you know, how long does that go on? And then and then what do you do? I mean, what if nobody can stop a two point conversion because you're putting it right there in front of the goal line? If you're actually making people drive the ball, then you have a lot more chance of, like we said, the defense actually making a play, doing something instead of it. It, it really does feel like it just kind of becomes a, a shootout at that point. I don't like it. Now I will say this. I I would prefer the overtime to go ahead and move the ball further back. Okay. Like uh, 35, 40? 35, 40. Make it a would you like make it a decent drive. Make it a decent here here's what here's here's what I'm proposing that I would say. Um don't start them out in field goal range. Okay. Or normal or what yeah. would be a you know, don't they, give them a twenty-yard field goal. Sure, I mean, okay, you go through and out, three and out. And you're you're, already, you're still in field goal range. You get three. No, you need that. You need to have them to where if you go three and out, you're pretty much going to have to go for it on fourth down, whether you like it or not, or you're going to have to try like a sixty-yard you know, yard field goal. If you move this back a little longer, you know what I'll just say: play it like the NFL. Well, let's let's kick it off and play a few more minutes, shall let's we? Play it like yeah. the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, well, I was going to go the opposite direction. Let's just line kickers up and see who misses first. Oh, my God. Well, no. <laughs> not, like, not a true, like a true PK? Yeah, PK yeah. it with, with field goals. Uh, kickers' again, lives matter. <laughs> well, and again, and, for, and fortunately we don't do this very often because people do usually score it is a more offensive sport than it used to be. But, like, to be fair, if, the, if we do end in a tie in the regular season in the NFL, 
if it was postseason, they again they'd they, make they, you play till someone figured it out. Yep. So again, like I don't know why you have to say with kids that hit less hard and run less fast. Well, hey, you know we just play eighty four, man. It's just it's just all of a sudden you just can't do that. You play seventy nine plays, but you get in the eighties and you're just like, eh. Plus, I, how I often just don't, I don't it, buy it. I'm sorry. I, I, I would, don't. I'd like to go and look at all the game, all the overtime games. How often do you get to that two point? Like again, it's not it's not frequent, and, and it just ruins the few games that do. Like it's not. It's again, it's not. That's what that was my whole premise. Is like you don't make a rule change based off of an outlier, and it, it's overreaction yeah. to the seven overtime. Yeah, it, it's it's. It's sad. I, I, I don't like it. Anyway, we are about to run out of time on the show. Real quick, Nightly TV Guide right now. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks only got about 60 seconds. What we got? Two movie picks for you this evening. Six o'clock on FX, Iron Man 3, your superhero movie pick of the evening. It is still spooky season, so 6.30 on E-Network. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. It's not necessarily a Halloween movie, but it's got witchcraft, wizardry. It's a little little, little spooky stuff going on. Uh, so there's your two movie picks for the evening. Uh, sports picks for you tonight. We'll go college football first, starting at 6.30 on ESPN2. Some fun belt action as Coastal Carolina visits App State. Also 6.30 on ESPNU. The Conference USA game, Liberty, visits Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State, again, having a really good year so far. Uh, first time in uh, FBS. And they'll tee it up, uh, both those at 6.30. Baseball continues 7 o'clock on Fox. Game 3 between the Orioles and the Rangers. Uh, opening night for the NHL, 7 o'clock on ESPN. It's the Blackhawks and the Penguins. Follow that up at 9.30 but with the Kraken at the Golden Knights. And then, of course, tonight on and at 9 o'clock on TNT, some NBA preseason action as the defending champion Denver Nuggets visit the Phoenix Suns. And, yes, Nikola Jokic is more uh, excited about slam ball than about basketball. And that's tonight. The TV Guide brought to reference at White Call Heart Seltzer. Thank slam you. ball is pretty cool. Uh, I think he's just more excited to be in another country. I don't, I don't well. think I think he wants to be back in Serbia, not not here. But anyway, uh, that will do it for the show today. Brooks, thank you very much for being here. We'll see you out at the High School Coaches Show tomorrow. Yes, sir. And Tom Peavy, thank you for being here. We'll see you again tomorrow. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. And that will do it for the show for today. We want to thank Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for stopping by. And as always, we thank all those that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Tuesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.